0: This episode, Justice League number two, cover dated June 1987. Second episode of Justice League International, wahaha podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Iron Will Shag, and I'm your host. But I'm not flying alone, folks. Every single episode, I will feature a different guest host. Today, my co-host is a voice many of you may be familiar with from his shows, Views from the Long Box, From Crisis to Crisis, the Superman Podcast, Tales of the JSA, and many, many more. Folks, please help me welcome to the embassy, Mister Michael Bailey. <laughs> welcome to the embassy, Mike. How's it going?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you. Uh oh. I- I'm a little hurt. You're hurt? I'm are you hurt? Are, are you injured? No. As many of you know, Views from the Long Box, which is an internationally recognized podcast, is existing. Uh, <laughs> Cause people in other countries. Because
0: there's a guy from Canada that listens or something? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> There's dudes in Australia and and, and, and like people in, in the UK that listen to the show. So I can say it's an international show that has been around for, for about eight and a half years now. And I've had many, many guest hosts on that show. But the very first one, the first guy that I ever had on that show was you. Handsome devil, that guy. I, and to be fair, our first episode never saw the light of day because I couldn't figure out the recording software. <laughs> I was still a noob. I hope it's working tonight. Well, I've, I've learned a few things since then. But I was like... Like hey, you know you're doing a new show, and you're like hey, you want to be on the second episode? And I'm like, you know what? Uh, okay, you know he probably wants Rob on the first episode because he and Rob, you know have have been pod married for you know like five six years now. He, he is my podcasting life mate, and, and and that's fine. And I was like, so it's got to be Rob. And then I heard Ryan Daly, and I'm just like, you know what is what has that guy I've been podcasting for? What like five minutes now? <laughs> It's the blackmail, I'm telling you. He had some really bad Yeah, but I on actually me. have blackmail photos. <laughs> those don't count. Your wife has seen those. <laughs> <laughs> but your wife hasn't seen the ones my wife has.
0: That's probably true. There is some <laughs> truth in that. Well, I'm terribly sorry if you're offended.
1: No, I'm very happy to be on the show, dude. And I hope, you know, every podcast is potentially somebody's first podcast. So they may not know that you and I have like a 10-year history together. So us giving each other crud is like, you know, that, that's like Tuesday. You know? <laughs> I've taken penicillin a number of times, but I can't get rid of you. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really happy to be on this show uh, because I have gotten to listen to the first episode, and it was amazing, uh, even with Ryan Daly. And you know what? I feel bad picking on him because he's always so nice to me, but now maybe he'll start throwing shade my way. So, I'll be like part of the family. This is a great show. I can say that after listening to one episode. And I am just it's really It's all happy. downhill from here. <laughs> Well, you know, after I'm on, well, no, because you're probably going to have Chris Franklin at some point. And Rob, I'm sure, will show up. Aquaman shows up on, in the Justice League at some point, right?
0: Somewhere around issue 30 It was when Rob <laughs> Kelly, will see the light of this podcast, my friend.
1: Well, he'll have to be like your your mainstay co-host through the Justice League International years, where Aquaman's a member and, like, hooked up with Power Girls. So. That
0: is after the Keith oh, DeFan, J.M.D. Mateus absolutely. era.
1: Yeah, because you're not with jurgens and the Votto stuff, are that's
0: you? That's right. Well, and, it, and it just that's fair to me. Mention, if this is your first episode, which why you would start with episode two and not number one. I don't know. Maybe okay. maybe you have a fear of commitment. Either way, um the tenant of the show is to cover the Giffen Dimateus era of the Justice League. So we will start with issue one, we will go through issue sixty, and then we might tackle the super buddy stuff after that. But yeah, we will that's that's where the that's what we'll be talking about.
1: Um fun fact about the super buddy stuff. Yeah. The J- the JLA classified episodes or issues. <laughs> Uh, you can read my reviews of those over at the Superman homepage, because wow. I reviewed that title. <laughs> Plug much? Yeah. <laughs> Save those for the end, Michael. I'm a maverick.
0: You can't <laughs> stop me. Well, there's there's a few bits of news I wanted to touch on before we get rolling here, folks. I don't normally expect to cover news, honestly, on this show, because we're talking about a comic that's 20 years old, or 30 years old, actually. But, there's some worthwhile information. DC just announced, at least at the time of this recording, I guess pulling back the curtain, it's fair to say we're recording this in the third week of February. You guys won't hear this till April, so forgive me, this is old, old news, but, uh, it's, it's new to us, and it's a little, makes me a little sad. So DC has announced they're doing this new project, the DC Rebirth. And they're gonna be relaunching a lot of titles, there's a lot of excitement around it, a lot of buzz. Sad part for us folks is that Justice League three thousand one will not be part of the DC Rebirth. <sighs> so Giffen and DiMatteo's wonderful series they're doing, they did with Howard Porter and are now doing with Scott Collins, uh, will not continue. So uh, May two thousand sixteen, we'll see issue number twelve. And that will be the final issue. Which, if you if you look at the math on it, they did 15 issues of Justice League 3000. They did 12 issues of Justice League 3001. All told, that's 27 issues. That's actually a pretty good run if you think about it in terms of the original JLI. By that point, they had already spun off another series, and that was pretty far into it. So, 27 issues.
1: Well, if you compare it to to like a bunch of titles that started in September of 2011. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> doing pretty good. Yeah, it's doing so real good. <laughs>
0: We're sad to see it go. You know, the trades are going to be coming out, so we'll be seeing more of it. And as Mark DiMattea said on Twitter, he said, you know, with D.C., things tend to come back, so who knows? He shared a other little bit of news, which this is hilarious. Back on February 8th. So again, this is way in the past for you, but in honor of the JLI anniversary, they just celebrated their 29 years, uh, which by the way, we're gonna, to, I'm gonna have to throw together some big hoopla for the, for the 30th year. I gotta figure that out. I got a year. Hmm. He put out this post on his blog. His blog is Com. If you don't know how to spell it, just Google it posts all about what he claimed was the shockingly true story of how the JLI happened, and it is an absolute riot. You've got to go out there and read it. Not a word of it is true, uh, but it is hysterical. (laughs) So, (laughs) definitely check that out. And that's all the news I've got right now. Again, I don't know how much news we're going to have for a 30-year-old comic, so we'll have to see how that goes in the future. But before we get too much further, we really do need to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the JLI podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. And each episode of the show, um, we'll pick a collected edition from their library that InStockTrades has, and, uh, we'll, it'll tie in somehow to the Justice League. And And uh, we'll give it a shout-out. This time, I wanted to give a shout-out to a fantastic book, which I own myself. It's Modern Masters, Volume 10, Kevin McGuire. It's a soft cover. It's put out by Tomorrow's Publishing. Mike, I think you're pretty familiar with Tomorrow's Publishing, right? Yes absolutely great stuff. It's a it's basically a book celebrating the artwork of Kevin Maguire and features basically a book-length interview. And uh it's a lot of fun. Some of the artwork in there's absolutely gorgeous. Some of it I had never seen. Some of it's his pencils before they're inked. It covers a lot of his, you know, obviously his Justice League work, covers a lot of the other Strike Back and and several other series he's worked on, even the ones that he was developing that never got published. Really enjoyable. It's 128 pages. It's in black and white, and you can get it uh on in-stock trades at a significant discount of 40%. It normally retails for $14.95, and it's available right now for $8.97. Have you ever picked up any of these Modern Masters books?
1: I picked up one for Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway, uh, just and that is where I got to see some Superman artwork I had never seen before. That's awesome. There is a this quick digression. There is a uh, a house ad that I never saw in the wild until I started going through my Green Arrow run. But it has Superman sitting in a chair mm-hmm. in a like darkened, and he, on one side of him is like the head of Clark Kent. On the other side is the head of Gangbuster. Okay, and it says burnout, and it was that it was the advertisement for that thing leading up to Exile. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen this before, so cut to years later. I, I scan it and post it on Facebook, and informed by Mike Carlin Ooh. that it was a gag. Because it was after Burn left, right? Because how did they spell Burn? Is what I was wondering. <laughs> it was B U R N, but it was it was a little it was a little like friendly kind of shot ab- across the bow, basically. Uh, no, I, I love the Modern Masters series. I really do. I think I think Tomorrow's and and I'm not saying this just because I, I've been fortunate enough to have an article published in in back issue. Woo-hoo! I think they are one of the true keepers of the flame of trying to keep Bronze Age and the Golden Age. And and you know books over ten years old in the limelight, you know, giving artists like Kevin McGuire a showcase book. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I just I love them. I love them so much. It's it's not even funny. All right, that's
0: my in stock trades pick, folks.
1: Um, for this and
0: all your other hey shows, hey whoa whoa whoa
1: whoa what what did
0: I mispronounce whoa. something?
1: No, you did not. Well, you mispronounce things all the time, but that's entirely beside the point. No. I I seem to remember an ongoing bit over on Fire and Water that if I'm on the show, apparently I never bring an in-stock trades ad. I expected you didn't hear either. I lovingly picked one out, and you're just going to pass me on by, and that makes me sad. (laughs)
0: What well, all right Michael, do you have an in stock trades pick you would like to recommend to the folks at home?
1: As a matter of fact, I do, and it is tied into a book we're going to be talking about tonight. It is Showcase Presents Justice League of America Volume 5. Ooh. In this value-priced volume collecting stories from issues 84 to 106, the J- oh you can tell when this was written, the JLA battles Blackest Night villain Solomon Grundy. <laughs> Meets dead man, faces a cosmic vampire, and teams up with both the Justice Society of America and the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Mm-hmm. Normally, this thing's 19.99. After the magical 45% discount, it is 10.99. That's 528 pages for 11 dollars, folks, with a oh beautiful Nick party cover. That's a highway. That's highway robbery. So, I mean, you, you've got Robert Canager, so you know those issues are like written on the fly. Mike Friedrich, Denny O'Neill, Gardner Fox, Len Wein writing this thing. You got Dick Dillon. Jogiella and Mike sikowski artwork i mean I love these showcase presents volumes they're just they're just one of the most amazing things DC has ever done'
0: I'm, so I'm looking at this particular i'm looking at this particular volume on my bookshelf right now
1: so but that's my pick because I brought one
0: And as Mike said, that will tie into our discussion in just a little bit. So, okay, folks, for that and all your other uh, trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right, Mike, here we go. We're going to talk about Justice League. I almost said of America. Justice League number two hmm It's obviously the book that eventually becomes Justice League International. So tell me, and the folks at home, I ask this of all of our guests, what is your own personal origin story with the JLI? How did you discover the book, or how did you fall in love
1: with it? Well, th- that's actually two different stories. Yeah, uh, okay. I remember being in Walden Books in early 1987. <laughs> oh, Walden Books. And I miss Walden books. I know, like I know. <laughs> and most people are like, Walden well, books? What are you talking about? But I, remember I, don't, I thinking, don't
0: think there's a lot of 14-year-olds listening to this, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I remember being in there and seeing the first issue and opening up and seeing Guy Gardner sitting there alone and thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. But I wasn't even collecting the Superman books at that point. So I, I was really kind of like, I didn't buy many comics. I would just get one every once in a while. So I just put that back on the shelf. Cut to the summer of 1989. Okay. And Batmania, Batmania is out and I'm wanting to kind of experiment with new drugs. I mean, new comics. <laughs> <laughs> and just on a whim, I, I I was at Walden Books again, and I picked up the issue of Justice League America, where the Blue Beetle falls under the influence of somebody and goes crazy and the Huntress is there. Oh, my gosh. That issue is, uh, I reread that one just a couple weeks ago. Oh, my
0: gosh. That issue is such a kick in the stomach.
1: And I liked it a lot. But the funny thing is, is that Justice League Europe is the very first example in my collecting life where I was influenced by an article in a fanzine because <laughs> Comic Scene did an article on all the books spinning out of Invasion. Okay. And one of them was Justice League Europe. And on the spinner rack at the Superfresh, which was a grocery store... I love the name of that place. <laughs> It was great. It, it's a it's a Belk's now or something like that. It was depressing when I went back up there. But the first issue was on the stands, and I'm like, it's a number one. You know, not that I th- was thinking it was like something going to be uh, it was going to be worth a lot of money. But at that point, like I would always like see a book, and it was part three of some eight part storyline. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm not going to jump in with part three because I buy my comics off the rack. And at that point, if a comic was not on the rack, it did not exist on planet Earth anymore. <laughs> So, I bought the first three issues of Justice League Europe and liked it, but it really wasn't until the, the fall of 96 into 97 where I was just like, I'm just buying all of these issues, because at that point they were rather cheap in the back issue bins. And I went on this quest, and I collected every single issue of Justice League, Justice League International, Justice League America, and Justice League Europe, and Justice League Task Force, and Extreme Justice, yes. and I just I sat there from Issue 1 of Justice League all the way up to Grant Morrison's JLA 1, I read the whole thing. Good night. And in that process, I completely fell in love with the Giffen de Mateus era. Just because I loved the characters, and, and it really was, and I, and I don't want to do spoilers ahead of time, but there is a storyline involving Despero. Oh, yeah. Where everything fell into place for me. Okay. I was like, I get it now. Like, I get the gestalt of this, and, and, and it's been said elsewhere, and we've said it, but everyone says, oh, it was blah, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, yeah, it was blah, ha, ha, until Despero killed a bunch of people, and suddenly this misfit team had to be the Justice League. And there's a there's a debate. And I remember when Grant Morrison's JLA that was a that was a cottage industry for like five years. Yeah, but I remember when I first got online at the end of 1998, I'd go to the DC message boards, and people would be just like bashing this era.
0: Yes, there there was a definitely a period of time where everybody turned on this era, and then somewhere in the early 2000s, it all turned around, and they started celebrating it again.
1: But I I just never got it. I never got it. why do you have to tear this down to bring up what Grant Morrison's doing? But they were like, well, well, it isn't the real Justice League. I'm like, guys, you don't understand. You can do more with this team than you can do with a team comprised of Superman, Batman, and the greatest example of that is 2008, right after they started up that new Justice League of America series that Brad Meltzer was writing. Mm-hmm. Like 16 issues into it, Superman's gone, Batman's yeah. gone, Wonder Woman's gone.
0: <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was that was unfortunate for the writer that had to follow Brad Meltzer. And
1: it was actually Dwayne McDuffie. I think.
0: They couldn't come up with his name for some reason. Jeez, thank you.
1: But, but that's the thing, is that everyone wants the classic team, but they want it like they want something that they don't have to buy every month. They want it to be out there, but they don't want to invest in it because they don't want to have to think about the fact that this ties into other things. But when you have a team composed of Blue Beetle and Booster Gold and Fire and Ice, you can develop those characters and not have to worry if Batman's going to die and mm-hmm. be gone and Dick Grayson's going to be Batman. Oh, Fire you
0: know, is probably the best example of that. The changes yeah. they put her through of where she started to where she ended could have never happened with her having her own ongoing book.
1: So, And it would be a discussion me and my one of my first friends that I made in Georgia, uh, Chuck, would have all the time is that these are the characters you want to sink your teeth into because they're not tied to anything else and therefore they're your own. You fall in love with these characters and you worry about them and you, and you worry about the things that they go through and you you know you're invested in the ice guy relationship to the point in one of the uh, reunion movies as I'll call them I think it was the second one that was in Je- Justice League classified JLA classified I can't believe it's not the Justice League <laughs> there was a moment in there that I actually teared up oh
0: okay yeah because
1: it, it just punched me in the gut mm-hmm. like seriously and I was just like holy crap and then that's when you realize you're in love with this group It's it's like I love classic you know, I love the Magnificent Seven. Right. I mean I mean we're we're twenty years we're coming up on twenty years since Grant Morrison's JLA started. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Think about that for a second. And that was a great book and that was a great team and he did amazing things with it. But JLA is like the Punisher. It's good for six months worth of stories, but if you put those two together, that team together for too long, it becomes either boring or commonplace. Hmm. But if you have a Justice League made up of so-called B-listers, then you have a book that has longevity because you can develop those characters.
0: Well, there's got to be more to it than just that. You've got to have the spark that I think Giffen and DiMatteis brought, because everything you just described would also apply to Justice League Detroit. and it
1: That is very true. And, and it didn't and work,
0: which is unfortunate.
1: And it's nothing against the man personally, but Dan Votto's run on Justice League was not all that good. He was the one that came right after Jurgens. Oh, I know. He, he broke Jay's leg, if I remember correctly. <laughs> i remember reading those books and just not being as emotionally invested yeah so, so I, I i i love these characters i love this book and I, I i still have all the comics the only thing i don't have a complete run of is justice league quarterly
0: oh okay well, and yeah. i'm working on it you got you got about four years till we start covering it so don't worry <laughs> so who amongst the jli characters are your favorites now try and narrow it down to like you know somewhere three or
1: less Okay, I got three, but there's a couple combos in there. I'm <laughs> invested...
0: <laughs> cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater.
1: I'm invested in the Booster Beetle friendship. Very good. Uh, I like the triangle between Ice Fire and Guy. What kind of triangle are you implying? Uh, I'm actually just implying that you have Fire and Ice who are friends, and one of those friends likes a guy that's not good for her, and her friend's pissed about that on a continuous basis.
0: Okay. Because other people have other opinions on Fire and Ice, that's why
1: uh, I ask. You know, but I don't care. If they're involved, fine. That's 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 their business. <laughs> right. Like, they're real people. Except that Ice uh, is dating guys, so it becomes yeah, a bit more... So it becomes a problem. Yeah. But my absolute favorite is the Martian Manhunter, Uh-oh. and that is because he is... I, I know you was a founding member, but like after a certain period of time, he had almost nothing to do with the Justice League on a continuous basis until Justice League Detroit, in the later points of that series. But with this era, he is the heart and soul of this group. He is the one that holds it together. He is the leader after Batman can't be the leader anymore. And I grew to love Martian Manhunter because of this series. And that is why when he was in the Grant Morrison book, I really liked it. And that's why I followed his ongoing series when Oscar. Strander was writing it, uh, and it all goes back to here. All great picks, all great books. Makes me want some
0: Oreos, in fact.
1: I only like Oberon because we're both short. <laughs> There's a certain
0: quality you and Oberon have in common.
1: <laughs> what, outside of being
0: short, or just that? I'm just going to leave it that as it is.
1: Okay. And you know what? I would, I would jump on guy and 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 grab him by the face. Oh
0: so. my gosh, that was so funny.
1: <laughs> all
0: right, with that, we're going to move on to our next segment, folks. We're going to move on to. Monitor duty. This is a segment where we cover other comics containing JLI characters that were on the shelves the same month as this one. So again, we're covering Justice League uh, number two, which was on the shelves, by the way, on March 5th, 1987. If you want to pick up a pristine copy, you know, start running at super speed and get your vibrational harmonies right so you can head back again to March 5th, 1987. Pick yourself up a fresh copy off the newsstand if you can travel back in time. If you can do it. Power to you. So, other titles were on the shelves at that point. Uh, Same month in March, 1987. Mike, you want to go first?
1: Uh, We had Batman 408, which is the... (laughs) Infamous. (laughs) You and I joke joke about this all the time. Jason Todd did not steal the Batmobile's tires. He did not abscond (laughs) with the Batmobile tires. He did not
0: pilfer them either.
1: He did not pilfer them either. He boosted them. Which is the narrative, but this is uh, not at Max Allen Collins' first issue of, of his run on Batman, because he wrote uh, 402 and 403 before it went into year one. But this is the first of his uh, kind of short-lived run, and it's not very good. The premise behind it is fine, but the fact that Jason is introduced as he is, and then put in a school where Ma Gun, Gun. <laughs> you know, it, it it just it just wasn't the best, and I, I hate to say this, the artist that started with him was good, but it wasn't. This is such a weird era for Batman because Batman did not have like the the post crisis send off that Superman got, you know, where he got his new era and it's all bright and shining from Man of Steel number one onwards. Batman's like, well, you got year one, and then you got this, and then you got that, and it's only when Alan Grant and John Wagner. Start writing detective. That things start, you know, gelling together. It's not a bad comic. It's in trade paperback now. Uh, detective Comics number five seventy-five, which is the first part of Batman Year Two, uh, and with the 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 only chapter drawn by Alan Davis, uh, who had a falling out with editorial over uh, a change to his artwork, from what I understand. Ugh, a shame.
0: I know. I I like the McFarlane art that follows in it, but I know a lot of people have issues with it. So, boy, boy there's some a lot of important comics that came out this month. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Jason Todd boosting the Batmobile tires, which is infamous. The the year two, we're going to talk about a couple of others in a second. It's just amazing. So, all right, another title that was out on the shelves this same month, Blue Beetle number 13. And this is one of the issues featuring the new Teen Titans, where they were dealing with, I think the labels, Prometheus Unbound, that storyline.
1: is where the dude gets, like, covered in the Prometheum? Pretty much, Yeah. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Uh, you also had Shazam, The New Beginning, number three, uh, which has a beautiful Tom Mandrake cover of Shazam and Black Adam flying towards each other. I love this book. I love this book. I love this book. I love Tom Mandrake's art. I love the new take Roy Thomas had on it, and I'm still a little upset that it didn't develop anything beyond the four issues. But I really dig this miniseries. Very cool. I've never read it, so I should give it a try, I guess. I think I owned the
0: first one. Because it was tied in... Well, was it tied in a Legends? Was it a Legends tie-in?
1: It was, it was one of the aftermath things
0: okay. that came out. I was say, technically, if it's got a Legends banner on the top of it, I own it. So, All right. Uh, and then some future members of the team, people that will be joining fairly soon. Booster Gold was on issue number 17, featuring Hawk and Cheshire. Captain Adam number four was also on the shelves this month. This is, one of the, Woo-hoo! this is one of the earlier adventures where he had those quantum jumps where he'd absorb energy and jump forward in time. One of the earliest ones of that. Hawkman number 11, featuring Darkwing, Hyathan, and biff so other than my good friend Ange, i can't imagine why anyone would want to pick up that comic with that cast of characters that's just me being a little mean though
1: darkwing duck that would be amazing be <laughs> and- dangerous
0: and while technically this guy doesn't join the JLI for a number of years, so I probably wouldn't normally cover the Monitor duty this early. It is worth mentioning, Flash Number One was on the shelves this same month. So look at that, that's a lot of important books.
1: It, just, it, it really is. This is this is one of DC's golden ages. It really, I mean, just flat out.
0: Yeah, we'll tell you what, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to play a podcast promo, and when we come back, we're going to cover Justice League Number Two. <laughs>
1: My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. I'm not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books, I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic, Comic books. Books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box" to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them and then... Well, I I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes, and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comic books, or a desperate cry for help. You decide. Every Tuesday, or so, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com
0: And we're back, folks, and we are here to talk about Justice League Number Two by DC Comics, cover dated June 1987, with a cover price of 75 cents. That's right, three shiny quarters. Cover by Kev McGuire and Al Gordon. Cover depicts our Justice League heroes in the foreground: Black Canary, Batman, Green Lan- Green Lantern, Guy Gardner. Let's just call him what he is, and Martian Manhunter being attacked by three strange superpowered folks. What do you think about this cover, Mike?
1: It's not my favorite Justice League cover, but I don't hate it either i just think uh one jinda looks weird yeah uh but that's just his design it's not my uh mcguire gordon's fault that that's how you know dick dylan drew him back in the 60s or the early 70s so i like it because to me batman black canary guy and Martian manager look like they are listening to the most awesome metal album ever And they are just, like, seriously rocking out to it. So that's where I am on it.
0: You know, I like that. That that puts this cover in a much better perspective for me. Because I, I actually, it's going to sound weird, but I have a real passion for covers. Issue number two covers. I can't explain it, but for me, most comics that came out in the late 70s and, and 80s through there, like, issue number two is always my favorite cover. I love me, like, Firestorm, the classic Firestorm number two cover is fantastic. The the newer Firestorm number two is great. Blue Devil number two cover is great. There's all these great number two covers. You know, uh, New Teen Titans number two. Anyway, this one is, as you said, it's uh, it's not my favorite. It is a bit of a disappointment, because you, you see what Kevin McGuire could do in issue one. You see what Kevin McGuire could do in subsequent issues. And you see what Kevin McGuire does in the inside. And mm-hmm. for some reason, this cover just doesn't quite work work for me. But now that I know they're in the throes of death metal, it's I think I love the cover now. (laughs) So fantastic. All right. why don't we go ahead and uh, why don't you take us through the inside, Mike?
1: All righty. We've got plot and breakdowns by Keith Giffen, script by J.M. De DeMatteis, DeMatteis, DeMatteis. That's how I remember his name, how to pronounce his name, by the way. That works. Uh, thank you, Falco. Uh, penciler Kevin McGuire, Inker Al Gordon, you're on your call with Al and you're stuck. You'll have to read one of the ambush bug specials to get that. Oh, okay. Uh, Whew, I was like, what? <laughs> letter Bob. Bob Lapin, or Lapin, however you want to pronounce that, colorist Jean D'Angelo, editor Andy Helfer, this is Make War No More. We open on Batman grilling the new heroic non-creepy Doctor Light about where she got her non-sanctioned, but apparently better than the original Justice League communicator, the exchange is a little heated as Batman is not known to be a soft touch in these circumstances, but his use of the word please does the trick. <laughs> uh, we get a little banter between Guy, Dinah and Mr. Miracle, which pretty much describes <laughs> that could be, you're, you're free to use that whenever you're writing one of these and just want to kind of blitz through the scene. Cause you know, you're going to be talking about it in the notes, uh, just banter between whoever. And that pretty much covers most of the issues. Uh, that, that's not, <laughs> (laughs) a pejorative it's just an observation but this one revolves around the fact that guy is a pig which will become a running theme the blue beetle interrupts them and the group watches a scathing review of the new justice league by jack Ryder on his program the hot seat oh that guy the report is also seen by maxwell lord who asks to see the file on Ryder, which is located under c uh, before welcoming booster gold into his office Back at Justice League headquarters, Guy throws a fit over Ryder's report, but is told he can't do anything about it. Guy continues to be a jerk to everyone. Again, feel free to just copy and paste that into subsequent uh, recaps of this. <laughs> uh, especially Captain Marvel, until Batman makes him apologize. Cut to an interlude with a character we will come to know as the Grey Man, where Dr. Fate tells Emo Guy that he can't throw off his destiny. He, the destiny he has long accepted. <laughs> He was listening to Dashboard Confessional and cutting himself just to feel In Bialia, 3 superpowered <laughs> beings the uh, the Scarlet, well, I mean the Silver Sorceress, uh, the Mighty Th- I mean Wanjinda, and Ant M- No, I mean Blue Jay, uh, attack the country and go after their nuclear missiles They battle with the military and eventually throw out one of the nukes into some kind of wormhole. Bialia's leader Colonel Ruman Harjavadi, and that's my pronunciation and I'm sticking to it uh, manages to talk the trio Down and convinces them to come in and talk with him about their anti-nuclear war agenda. I'll, I'll take it
0: from here and finish up the issue. So back at Justice League headquarters, Batman and Martian Manhunter are examining that same signal device uh, from Dr. Light, and it, it does appear to be similar to their own, yet Batman's convinced it's got to be a cheap knockoff. The Dark Knight is stunned when Martian Manhunter states that the technology in Dr. Light's signal device is actually superior to their own. Their investigation is cut short by a news report of these mysterious superpowered trio, that Mike mentioned a moment ago, attacking missile silos in Israel. Not surprisingly, Guy Gardner is thrilled with the destruction, giving us the... Ex- exceptional and hilarious dialogue uh, full of 80s references. No, Quote, "...nobody but Ronnie Boy should have his finger on the button." I love that. <laughs> Batman then mobilizes the Justice League preparing to cross international borders in Blue Beetle's flying bug ship. Guy Gardner argues along the way saying that the superpower trio is doing them a favor by taking the nukes out of the hands of other countries. The rest of the League is more worried about who the trio might be working with and Batman orders Guy to follow the trio and he begrudgingly agrees. The scene then cuts to Wangina. Am I saying that right? Wangina? That's what I just got. Just say
1: Jinnah, and you'll feel better about yourself. I, that's kind of I mean. my
0: problem. Okay, Juan Jinnah. <laughs> the seat goes to Juan Jinnah, Silver Sorceress, and Blue Jay leaving the Israeli missile base after they've destroyed it.
1: And Australian s- listeners are probably pissed with us right now. <laughs> just <you> know that.
0: <laughs> and, uh, they're saddened for the destruction that they've caused, but they made sure no one lost their lives, and they know that they're doing the right thing, and that they're ridding the world of our nuclear weapons. And their belief is that in the end, the people of Earth will thank them. And even if we don't thank them, at least Will be alive to hate them. And then we're treated to a flashback featuring the home world of Wan Silver Sorcerers, and Blue Jay. And it was a world much like our own, but a world where the threat of nuclear war became a reality. People died by the millions in the nuclear explosions, and the survivors wasted away in the radioactive fallout. The heroes of their world—these uh, three folks we're talking about, plus another one called Captain Speed—have uh, they defeated world-conquering villains? They had fought back alien invasions, but they were powerless to help their dying planet. They used their amazing powers to try various things like cleansing rains and healing magics. And uh, they did manage to save a thousand people, but it's a thousand amongst a planet of billions. And it, even uh, their teammate Captain Speed eventually succumbed to the radiation poisoning and he died. When there was no one left to help, the trio decided to leave their home world and seek out other planets that were on the verge of nuclear war. Their goal was to stop them from destroying themselves as their own world had. So back in present day, Guy Gardner's flying alongside Captain Marvel, searching for the trio, and Guy continues to be incredibly rude to Captain Marvel, continually calling him uh, Captain Whitebread, which we've seen now for a while. Suddenly, Guy's ring locates the trio, and he breaks away from the rest of the league, zooming off after the trio. He confronts them, and he is quickly struck down by Wan Jina's lightning. Guy plummets to the ground towards certain death, but he's actually rescued at the last moment by... That's yes, right, Captain Whitebread. The rest of the league catches up as they confront the trio, and at that same moment, the bug ship receives a transmission, informing them that they're in violation of Byland airspace, and if they do not leave, they will be blown out of the sky. Now, Batman's convinced the Bailans, and I'm probably saying that wrong, too, but either way, he's convinced they'll back down, um, because, you know, this is the Justice League, and we're treated to a very suspenseful moment in this uh political and explosive sort of game of chicken. Who's going to back down first? And then, while it's not shown on screen or in, in the comic itself, we do find out that it was actually the Justice League that backed down to avoid an international incident. In the final scene, we find ourselves in Baila with... Colonel Har Javadi, I think you're right, and the trio. The colonel is gloating over their victory of the Justice League. Well, Wangina indicates that the Justice League earned his respect for doing what they had to do. And the manipulative colonel then directs the trio towards their next target. A massive stockpile of nuclear weapons found in a country called Russia. Next issue, back in the USSR. Alright, and then, uh, just briefly mentioned in the letters page, we get at the end there a column explaining how the new, um, Andy Helfer wrote this one. He wrote the one in the last issue and he wrote the one in this issue, uh, sort of waiting for the letters to come in. And he wrote a column basically explaining how the new Justice League series came to be. And it's a great column. You should seek it out. Pick up the issue.
1: Yeah, um, see, see where he misspelled Mark Wade's name. Oh, did he really? <laughs> yeah, he spelled it W A D E. <laughs> Because this was still when Mark Wade was a uh, fan press. That's right. Oh, jeez. Well, before
0: we start talking about these, issue, why don't we cover the house ads real quick? Did you have yes. any particular favorites? In the now, we're not going to necessarily cover the house ads every issue, but this is 1987, folks. This is my single favorite year at DC Comics, and uh, we got to talk about it. So yeah, do you have a, do you have a favorite my, ad? This
1: is my golden age as a, as a fan, too. So. Ah,
0: yeah. Superman.
1: These are uh, your Superman years. Yeah. The Doctor Fate ad is absolutely gorgeous. <sighs>
0: Okay, Dr. Fate is one of my absolute favorite characters, Uh hands down, not just Justice League, but period. And this is the kickoff of the 4 mini series, written by J.M.D. Mateus, drawn by Keith Giffen and Dave Hunt. And wow, what a miniseries it is. Changes Dr. Fate forever. So, great stuff. If you haven't read it, go pick it up. And the ad's wonderful.
1: You also have the special that teamed up Infinity Incorporated and uh, The Outsiders, since those they were on the same um, same Earth at this point. The Outsiders one was written by Mike W. Barr and drawn by Chuck Patton.
0: I was going to say, the art on this ad is really nice, and then I realized it was Chuck Patton, which explains
1: it. Beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, anything drawn by Chuck Patton has, has my seal of approval. I don't remember that special being particularly memorable as i can't tell you anything about it i know i've read it but uh i love the house ad for it we do have the will robin die tonight uh it was the first of the new adventures of the batman by max allen collins chris warner was the artist they brought on and he he only did like two issues and then dave Cockrum came on and did a couple uh a couple fill-ins basically not Cockrum's best work but it was still interesting also we have and, and this is one that I love mainly because I got this off the stands this is like in my primordial, primordial collecting days Batman annual number 11 two tales of love and terror Mortal Clay by Alan Moore and George Freeman and Lovebird by Max Allen Collins and the very first Batman artwork of Norm Brayfogel oh
0: uh-huh, very nice uh
1: and it the the, the lovebird is the main story that Alan Moore backup is where, is basically you have to read that for mud pack to make any sense.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Alan Moore doing Batman. Nothing wrong with
1: that. Because that sets up where Clayface 3 is at the beginning of Pack. Okay. Uh, that, it, and that's a burn cover, too, isn't it? It is a burn cover. It's beautiful. Ooh, nice. Uh, venture into the 21st century with the Centurion. Zun, 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 <laughs> zun.
0: All right. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, this has nothing to do with comic books. But there was No, this su-
1: is for the comic book.
0: Oh, is it really? Oh, it is? Oh, my gosh. I didn't know DC did the series. Okay. Well, I was a big fan of the cartoon. I don't know what it is I just loved that cartoon with the way the attachments that would beam down and uh, it was so good
1: Rocky that, and Ace and
0: I love the opening credits because they tell you the whole story you know man and machine
1: <laughs> our extreme uh, yeah, to combat Doc Terror and his army of evil cyborgs um, let's just say that Marvel had Star Wars, G.I. Joe and the Transformers, uh, DC had Mask and the Centurions
0: yeah, hold on that is not fair they had Star Trek as well thank you very. Very much, and yeah, then they had the D and D comics. That's Are
1: they? different. That's different. Oh, that's different. Really? It's not a cartoon. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh, well, okay. I'll give you that. All right, fair enough. Anyway, moving on.
1: There is amazing man half page ad.
0: Aww, he's oh, so adorable.
1: Special, yeah, it's, you gotta love it. Uh, I always love seeing the subscription ads because it depresses the crap out of you that you could get fifteen a dollar a subscription for uh, the seventy five cent books for nine dollars a year. Nine dollars a year for twelve comics.
0: This is about the time I subscribed to Firestorm. Actually, I, I used to get Firestorm in the mail,
1: and you have one of those ubiquitous star trek ads that would run around this time as well which has a pretty boss looking kirk uh, in the enterprise on that so. it's
0: a fantastically drawn piece i wish i knew who did it could be that well, could be any number of people i don't want to speculate but that's a great star trek ad. love it
1: i love i i, I am a sucker for house ads yeah me too uh, especially this era of house ads because it seemed like to be an art at this point <laughs> whereas later they wouldn't put as much effort into them
0: well let's get into the issue itself so what do you think of the comic
1: I loved this comic. I, I, I really like it because it has everything, you know, you, you and Ryan in the first episode talked about how people say that the, the series didn't start gelling until around, you know, till moving day, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the first issue did this, the second issue, and I'm sure the, the, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth will, too, kind of puts a lie to that because everything that makes this series special is here. It's just not set in stone yet. Because Maxwell Lord is not part of the group as of this point. So you don't have that. But right from the beginning, you have this beautiful scene between Dr. Light and Batman, where he is just grilling her, and she is just having none of it. <laughs> and finally he says, please, and she she finally gives him the communicator that she was holding. But this is followed by Dinah, Scott Free, and Guy having a really great little sitcom moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. so
1: it's it's like it's all here. It really is.
0: And the artwork is dead on. I mean, look on page three, right after that, the close up of Ted's face. Mm-hmm. I mean, the detail work is there. You can see the, the expressions on their faces. It's Kevin Maguire was already you know doing exceptional work by issue number two. This early in his career, you know, I, um, I shouldn't say that. I mean, he, he had exceptional work in issue one already. I'm sorry, but just that issue two was so solidly well put together.
1: I love the roar, Batman in the Jack Ryder's hot seat report. <laughs>
0: the little TV screen, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, Uh, Maxwell Lord, I got a question, this is a story point, but I wonder, because I didn't read these comics when they came out, I wonder what people thought, because last issue, we were treated to the Maxwell Lord hints, and he could potentially be a bad guy manipulating everything, and here, they don't say he's meeting with Booster Gold, they say he's meeting with Mr. Gold. Mm -hmm. Makes you wonder if someone was thinking, you know, could it be Goldface? Could it be, you know, anyone Mm -hmm. else that's, you know, Gold-related from the DC
1: Pantheon? I wonder what people were thinking. I'm going to say this, I can see this, Max Maxwell Lord shooting Ted in the head. Mm. No, I'm serious. I'm not saying that as a joke or anything. This guy has a lot going on under the surface. Did we we have to bring that up? and, And the fact that he files the Jack Ryder thing under C for Creeper. That's hilarious. Is just amazing. It's just, it's so subtle because they never hang a lantern on it. If you know that Jack Ryder is the Creeper, you get it. And if you don't, it's just like, what does that mean? Oh, let's move on.
0: Well, interesting, since we're talking about this page, page four, take a good look at Maxwell Lord in the top right-hand corner. Any idea who he kind of sort of looks like?
1: No, he's supposed to be Sam Neill.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Kevin McGuire has gone on record, and you can find out in the in the uh, Modern Masters volume I talked about earlier, that he didn't want to do photo reference, but he did one time, and I think this may have been it, and everyone realized at that point, oh, yeah, that's definitely Sam Neill. From a spe- the- specific, oh, it is this panel, yeah, from The Omen. Originally, when he drew him, he was in issue number one. He was actually thinking about Christopher Walken, and then it was issue two that the Sam Neill from Omen 3 is where it really creeped in.
1: I, I've got a fever, and this Justice League needs Mole Cowbell. <laughs> I think it does. I think it
0: just might. Yeah, the the Jack Ryder bit. I mean, it's it, it's a little bit wow, but it's also just made me laugh really hard. But you know, he tells her it's, it's a private joke, and any every time he says her name, Miss Wootenhofer, it cracks me up just because her name is so ridiculous.
1: Yeah, that, that's one of those names that that they brought out. The, that's a very sitcom seventy sitcom type bit. Yeah, where they it just is. have like kind of a weird name for the characters. Page five art note. God, that close up on guy's face is just amazing.
0: I love that he's got, like, the ears, like, driving down the street with the doors wide open. Yeah.
1: But also, you look at the level of detail in his collar, in the glove, in the ring, and just everything. And I, I, I like Captain Marvel's, oh, no, you didn't look on the in the, the fourth panel where he says, my name is Captain Marvel. Yeah, it's a marvel that we could stay in the room with you without coming down with diabetes. Did <laughs> you know he would say diabetes.
0: I know, I know. <laughs> And then, uh, you know, the power of Batman, a hand on his shoulder and made Guy apologize. Wow. Yeah,
1: he, he does have that I just did something in my shorts look. He, really he does, does,
0: he does. A little bit, going to need a change, no doubt about it. <laughs> now, the next pages cover the the gray man, or, or did you call him emo emo boy or something?
1: I called him, yeah, at the end of it, yeah, because he, he is seriously emo. Oh, he's
0: very emo. Now, when I first read this, because uh, when I went back to go read the early issues, I did read them in order. I didn't get this at all. I did not understand what this scene was about, but now that I know where where this is going. I love the foreshadowing. It's wonderful. And I wonder if everyone else was as confused as I was or not. I don't know. It's it's a wonderful scene. It's great. It, it, it's creepy. I mean, it, you go from wah-ha-ha. Ha, I mean, the, the pages before are quite funny. And you get to this and it's very dark. It's very gloomy and very, you know, foreboding. And it's like,
1: whoa, what's going on? And this is like Dr. Fate when he's all business. Mm-hmm. This isn't Dr. Fate hanging out with the JSA. This isn't Dr. Fate fighting with the Justice League. This is Dr. Fate dealing with Lord of order and chaos business and this is the dr Fate that says no quarter given and bursts one of Abnagast or wraith and Gast into like flames yes. so uh, this, this, i love this, this it. is this is his day job and and i love especially at the bottom of the page in that second panel of him looking up with the sun overhead dr fate has one of the all-time at the same time goofiest but most awesome looks in comics because the cloak with the collar and the helmet looks great, but when you get into that kind of weightlifter short thing that he has going on, it throws it off a little, but I still, I can, I had... To be fair, Dr. Fate is one of those characters that will always get a pass at me because I had a Superpowers figure.
0: I still uh, have mine.
1: Uh, I, I have mine that I I bought from Paul Kupferberg, actually. Oh, wow. so, so cool. So it's got pedigree. <laughs> but, you know, so somebody who wrote the Superpowers comic, I have, oh, it's awesome. But, no, I just, I just love this page because, again, everything about what this Justice League becomes is here at the beginning. You have the goofiness, and then it's just like, what's going on here? The sure. Yeah, and and it's beautifully paced and the fact that it then goes into this action sequence with some wonderful dialogue on the part of the soldiers as they're fighting Silver Sorceress Wanjina and Blue Jay uh, who are characters that I'm like oh yeah, they're there, and that's it that's my entire reaction to them they're there, and uh, you have it in your notes I had it in my notes, holy crap on a stick is this Superman for the quest for peace.
0: Oh, it absolutely is well, the, the, the irony is is you know they did this again in in this particular month. Four months later, Firestorm does the same story about taking all the nukes and getting rid of them, and then you get Superman Quest for Peace, which came out this same year as well.
1: Mm-hmm. This summer,
0: that idea was certainly on the minds of writers of entertainment, without a doubt. I thought we were going to talk about how Hot Silver Sorceress is, but okay, we can talk about this instead.
1: That's fine. Well, if you want to, I mean, I'm I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't. Sorry, those ears kind of throw everything off. Well, okay.
0: Well, first of all, she's got her stomach. She's got a cutout in her stomach showing her tummy.
1: It's pretty hot.
0: And and Kevin McGuire does not know how to draw an ugly woman. Yeah, that is absolutely true. So she is super hot, but she's got those crazy ears. Maybe if I had a weird cosplay fetish, I'd be into it. Wait, do I have a weird cosplay fetish? Okay, maybe I'm into it. Anyway, so but if you look at page eight, the bottom panel, where you, you get the introduction of these characters, it's a fantastic panel. Again, Straight up. She looks hot. Wengina is, or when G- that guy, Thor, he's holding up the missile in the back, showing his strength, and then Blue Jay's in the foreground flying past you, yeah. who, who looks like he's maybe a little bit miscolored, because his coloring mm-hmm. implies he's naked. But, but if you look at the pencil work here, it's beautiful. She's got a, a, I mean, it's a tiny little face on her, but you can see the determination on her. She looks tough she's doing the powers coming out of her hands and this may be the first time we see sort of like the trademark Kevin McGuire sparkle like the little sparkly lights which, which he does so well and and Blue Jane you know flying looks great looks graceful I think it's a great looking panel I think it's absolutely cool I think it's a great introduction for the characters in this issue who I had never heard of at this point either by the
1: way so looking at, at Juan Jenna do, do you get the sense that he should be played by that guy that showed up with the bikers in weird science towards the end of the party? <laughs>
0: If you look on page 9, yeah,
1: absolutely. The, the guy that was in like all the like Wes oh, yeah. Craven movies. He like, was in yeah. everything
0: in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> the bald dude. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I could see that, especially, again, the middle panel on page 9 where he's got the bug eyes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's
0: just so pissed. He looks like he, he just wants to rip these people in half at this point. Oh, gosh. Ugh. So, I interesting character. You know what I just noticed? Her ears go up and down. Mm-hmm. Like dog ears. I didn't notice that. I wonder if that was a bit that Kevin McGuire was just secretly sneaking in there or what? Whether it was like how funny, that's hysterical. Oh, this comic's so good. So, all right, I never uh, wand Jinnah. I never really took to him. Um, he was a character I had a hard time getting, liking. I don't know whether it was his look or because he is an analog for Thor. I was, I'm not a real big Thor fan. Uh, I like the movie and all, but I'm not a big Thor guy. And, or maybe it has to do with the Justice League Europe appearances because Silver Sorceress and Blue Jay eventually join the Justice League Europe, if I remember correctly. And maybe that's, I don't know. How did you feel about these characters?
1: I... I... I don't care for them all that much, and okay. I, I think it's because I know they're analogs, mm-hmm. and, but it's like there's like I don't mind this story, and I don't mind them being in this story, but at the same time, it's just like I, I if I never saw them again, I'd be fine. If they showed up, I'd be like, okay, so it's so middle of the road. And,
0: and folks, we're dancing around a topic here about them being analogs. I promise in a little bit, we're going to get to that and we're going to talk about that and explain all that. We, we've we hinted at it without really getting into the details of it. I, I guess I'm pretty indifferent about them too. And it's not a knock at this issue. I think they're very effective in this issue. Uh, in fact, when they tell their backstory, it's very tragic.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh,
0: very sad. It's very well executed. I just, and it's okay that I'm not invested in them because the story, the story is more about the Justice League than about them. So I, I don't mind that I'm not invested in them. But yeah, I feel kind of the same way. It's kind of like, eh, not my favorite
1: characters. Yeah, and, and they really, like, this story works anywhere from, like, the mid-50s till about 1991. Oh, because uh, the, the the missile scare? With the nuclear war thing. I, I, I work with kids. I say kids. They're adults, but I call them kids, because <laughs> by the time this episode comes out, I will have uh, reached 40 without busting my tailbone.
0: Thanks. Nice for that. Thank- that's a dig at me, folks, in case you don't know.
1: Anyway. But I, I ask them, like, you know, when we get into conversations, I go, what's it like to not be af- have a grown-up not afraid of nuclear war? And that's not to say that when they grow up they didn't have their their own fears i'm sure the threat of a terrorist attack has kind of replaced that but i had screaming nightmares when i was a kid really literally i'd wake up screaming cuz i dreamed that the world was ending and i didn't even understand how nuclear war worked i just knew that if it happened everyone was going to die And that frightened the crap out of me. Do you remember uh, the day after? Uh, I was not allowed to watch it. We watched it in school. Good Lord.
0: I know. I know. Well, you know what? I think that may have been in high school years after it aired. But either way... I was in my class. I was, I had to watch it.
1: So it's one of those things that you read now, you know, especially with the USSR, which does not exist anymore. You know, it, it it almost dates it, but at the same time, I think there's kind of a timeless feel of people trying to bring humanity back from the brink. It's a science fiction trope that was very popular in the cold war. And since this is kind of the end of the cold war, I mean, Guy Gardner has that Ronnie boy joke that, (laughs) That you talked about Uh, knowing what we know now of ronald reagan and his alzheimer's maybe early 1987 is not when we would want him to have his finger on the button and that's not me making fun of him that's just me making a cheap political joke you know 30 years after the fact you know, the, that was this time. And I'm wondering how this reads to a younger audience. Hmm. You know, like that aspect of it. Do they just glaze over it because they don't really get it? Or is it like, God, this is so dated. This is so stupid. Why aren't they talking about terrorists and people flying in planes into buildings and stuff? So, well,
0: we read comics from the 50s and 60s, and we don't think those are stupid, the plots. I mean, we we see what, what the concerns are there. You know, you talk tell you what, folks, if you're a younger reader and didn't live through the – Cold War nuclear scare right into us. Let us know how you feel about whether this comic was dated or whether it was still relevant for you. Speaking of kind of like along those lines, the international concepts of all this and, and, and the borders and everything, the international incident really becomes a big issue in this, in this issue. Yeah. Uh, and it really becomes more clear that this book is heading for an international flavor. They still haven't come out and called it Justice League International, but there is that bit where they talk about there's an international incident involving superheroes and Batman says, so it involves us.
1: Yeah, it's like they're taking responsibility for it because superpowered beings are involved. Yep. And that's, that's really kind of fascinating. Because that's... I'm no expert on Justice League of America, the series from 1960-whatever to 1986, but it seems like they dealt with a lot of cosmic stuff, but there wasn't a whole lot of international stuff. Now, I could be wrong about that, uh, and I'm sure Rob Kelly will tell me if I'm wrong about that. <laughs> but... This era of DC, above anything else, was the first time DC ever tried as a company. Not just, you know, like Wonder Woman gets depowered or Green Lantern and Green Arrow start, you know, traveling the country for less issues than people probably think they did. And... (laughs) You make a good point. Go ahead. um, You know, this was where they were taking all of their big high concepts and doing something different as a company, because it's right after the crisis so let's stretch our legs. So that's why I like these early Justice Leagues because it's them kind of easing into the concept that it's going to be an international team of heroes mm-hmm. and that they're going to have embassies in other countries and stuff. So how do you ease them into it? You put them on the world stage. So they're not fighting a group of terrorists or or a supervillain team that's attacking Star City or, you know, they're not fighting, you know, Felix Oust, or Abnegaz Wraith and Gast or something like that. They're fighting and they don't really do that much fighting. They're fighting against almost a concept at this point, and that's really interesting to me.
0: And, and then, you know, the fact that they chose to back down from the violin airspace to prevent an international incident. I can't imagine the old Justice League doing that. They'd just be, like, flying in there, taking care of it, and at the end of it, everyone would pat him on the back going, well, you did the right thing.
1: Well, as we're going to discuss later, I mean, the old Justice League was just kind of weird at times. So <laughs> I love Colonel vajati or however you pronounce it I know i'm screwing that up the Bialya stuff is is one of those things that ran through all of the giffen de Mateus justice league stories i love seeing the beginning of that here like like we're starting to get the sense that this country is is up to no good in the neighborhood it's it's almost like he's an ineffectual dr doom in latveria <laughs> i like that and he's a funny character his best stuff's yet to
0: come too oh yeah he is a hoot Uh, Definitely watch for more from that guy. I love that character. Speaking of humor, there's a lot of good humor in this book. Mm -hmm. You've you've already talked about the Dr. Light Please. There's a funny bit where Guy Gardner and Mr. Miracle are arguing, and Mr. Miracle asks Guy to comport himself properly, and Guy's trying to figure out what the word comport means, and Blue Beetle's throwing lines in there about, hey, guys, guess what? Somebody guesses. He's like, you ruined my surprise. A lot of fun jokes in here. The Captain keeps thing keeps going. I love this one part where... Guy Gardner calls him Captain Whitebread. (laughs) And Marvel goes, that's Marvel. And starts spelling it. (laughs) M-A-R-V. Then there's the whole bit where Blue Beetle is chatting with Batman. And he's basically saying, you know, can we apply for a different Green Lantern? Can we get a different one? (laughs) And he's like, Batman, why don't you take... And I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not reading the the actual dialogue. He's like, why don't you take the ring, Batman? Then you'd be, well, here we go. Uh, Besides, who'd ever buy a superhero called the Green Batman? I mean, that's almost as dumb as... And then Batman leans in and goes, the Blue Beetle?
1: (laughs) I, I wonder if that is a stealth joke. At the expense that the fact that the Blue Beetle was named the Blue Beetle to tie into the success of Green Hornet.
0: Really? Was he?
1: Yeah, the, one of the reasons why he was the Blue Beetle is that the Green Hornet was so popular and Fox Victor Fox was not known for being terribly original. He's okay, this is gonna sound like a shot. He's kind of the Rob Liefeld of the Golden Age. Ooh. Where he would he went off, created his own company, and then just created kind of like copies of everything else. That was kind of the Golden Age model. I I, I don't think that. But knowing these guys and, and, and probably being probably hip to comic book history, maybe maybe it was. I don't know. It's just where my mind went.
0: Obviously, Keith and Mark are very steeped in DC history. They know their stuff. I mean, this issue, look how they lean. You know, reached back and brought into the issue. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in just a second here. Uh, so they clearly know their history. So it's quite possible that was a gag that way. I don't know. Right, I got one last thing I want to talk about here. And then uh, any final comments you have? is the the coloring. I talked about one last issue how I noticed all the superhero costumes were colored flat, meaning if someone had a green cape, the cape was green the entire way. One shade of green. There wasn't the a transition into a dark green or a lighter green. And that pretty much continues this issue. There are some exceptions. There's some scenes where Martian Manhunter is one shade of green and then around the edges he's a darker shade of green. But for the most part the su- the heroes are just stay in their strong colors. Strong, You know, one solid shade of blue or one solid shade of green. Uh, An obvious exception, though, interestingly enough, is the Silver Sorceress. Her costume is sort of an orangey-peachy color, and she's got a bunch of yellow highlights. That's part of the reason I think her costume stands out so much, is it almost looks metallically shined, compared to everyone else like almost like she's wearing a metal suit or a, a lycra suit or something like that and i i would love to ask gene d'angelo what his thoughts were on the coloring as he went through this if that was a purposeful thing or just done out of necessity because of speed i'm not sure but I, I don't know if you've noticed that as as you've looked through the issues at all
1: i always kind of give coloring in this era a pass because the paper stock was just so damn cheap that i never really look at it and go oh that looks weird because i just assume it's going to look weird well look at page eight.
0: yeah I follow you, but look at page eight. Look at the Silver Sorceress, and you see how she's, you know, like that orangey-peachy color with a bunch of yellow highlights, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, now flip back to page one and look at the Martian Manhunter. He's got that light green color, and then around the edges of his head, you can see the darker green. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Throughout the rest of the issue, if you look at Guy Gardner, his suit's one shade of green all the way down. Mr. Miracle's cape, one shade of green the whole way. There's no variation in coloring at all. Now, the inking might provide an illusion of different colors, but it's, um, it's a, they demonstrate that it can be done, but 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 then they don't do it. So it's got to be, I don't know, I assume it's an
1: active choice. I don't know. Well, it's probably a choice out of the fact that the technology did not exist.
0: But they just did it on page one and eight!
1: Yeah, but how hard was that? Are they at a point where the technology will allow them to keep it consistent? Are you questioning Gigi Angelo's ability? No, but I'm also questioning the fact that while he colored this... You know, some of that had to do with the, uh, uh, you know, the production of the comic itself and how it was printed on the paper. I
0: happen to know Neil Adams marched into somebody's office and said <laughs> they could do sixteen million colors or whatever it was with the colors they had available. <laughs> all right. Yeah, he did say that, didn't he? he? He said something like that. I heard an interview with him on Word Balloon talking about it. So, all right. So, what other thoughts you got on this issue before we get to our next segment?
1: Apparently, Wand Jenna was the subject of a TV show that was on ABC Television in 1966. Not this character. Oh. <laughs> but it was an Australian, an Australian children's science fantasy program from out of Australia that ABC showed. So I have been looking as we've been talking online to see how to pronounce it. I found a site that purports to be like a really great resource. It's called Godchecker.com. Okay, and they have this. They have this, and under the facts and figures, so it's like a who's who entry. Uh, it says pronunciation coming soon. <laughs> So I'm just gonna assume that no one in the United States knows how to pronounce this. I'm going I will ask my friend Steve Eunice how it's pronounced. Next well, if they, talk.
0: If Paul Hicks or any of the guys from the Waiting for Doom podcast, the Doom Patrol podcast that comes out of Australia, write in. Let us know, guys. I'm sure you have an altar in your house dedicated to them, So,
1: Oh, and I'm sure they've been cackling throughout it at us screwing it up, so that's okay.
0: Or they're throwing shrimps on, shrimps on the barbie at us, one or the other. All right, well, with that said, I thought it was a great issue. It was yes. a huge just an absolute hoot to read. I think you really made a good point that all the stuff that the JLI is known for is here. You got the com, you got tons of comedy, tons of it. You've got action, you've got battles, you've got drama with you know the Gray Man and then what happened on the trio's homeworld. Everything's here. It's uh, you know, the, the the arguments amongst the teammates. I think it's a great comic, I think it holds up, and I think it really does prove, as you said, that the Justice League gelled, this comic gelled a lot earlier than most people give it credit for.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those things where everything you needed for it, it's kind of like the TV show Leverage. Like, everything was there in the first episode. Hmm. But maybe some people think that the concept really took, like, till the second season to really come together to the leverage everybody knew and loved. But if you watch that first episode, it's all freaking there.
0: God, I love this book.
1: I know. I love this era so much. I know. Oh man, you're, you're, hit, you're hitting me in the feels. I'm so it. I'm
0: so thrilled to be doing this show. I'm, it's it's such a. I'm like giddy every time
1: I get ready. You are doing release. God's work, sir. <laughs> or maybe Wan Jenna's work. I'm not quite right.
0: Sure. I'm doing Wan Jenna's work. And uh, now we're going to go into another segment that we call Character Spotlight. And Mr. Bailey is going to guide us through a discussion on Wangina, Silver Sorceress, and Blue Jay, and their relevance in history. Could you give us a little information on these folks,
1: Mike? Well, we're going to go back to Justice League of America, number 87.
0: What, what? These guys didn't first appear here? No. Uh,
1: This has a, it's a February 1971 cover date, so it probably came out around November, October, November of of 1970. The cover is kind of interesting, because it has Batman wearing a crown, sitting on a uh, extended seat with a bat on the back of it, because you know, a- as you have mentioned on many an occasion, Bruce Wayne is all about branding. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing about the cover is that all of the faces of the Justice League members look like they were taken from other books. Okay, like that's a Murphy Anderson Superman and a Carmine Infantino Flash. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, I don't know who the Atom is. I guess they just dragged some guy off the street and took a picture of him or whatever. Aww. Um, but th- the majority of this story after you you get this kind of creepy page on page four of Superman hitting on Zatanna. Uh,
0: (laughs) I get the sense, Mike Friedrich who wrote it, I get the sense that he was in love with Zatanna.
1: But look at that panel, that that fifth panel, not counting, well, I guess counting the text panel. Superman's leaning over like, how you doing? (laughs) Uh, but they get a, the JLA... Lo,
0: Lois wasn't returning his calls that week, so, you know.
1: Well, we open on Hawkman and Batman getting attacked by this giant robot. We see Superman working out and having a moment that feels like it's out of the the Superman comics of today, actually. And they get the uh, JLA trouble alert, uh, as do the other members of the Justice League. And they go, and Batman's just acting like a jerk. <laughs> Uh, declaring himself eventually king, and they start fighting this giant robot. And then out of nowhere, we get this thing about another planet that was destroyed by nuclear war. And finally, on page 17 of, you know, like a 22, 23-page comic, we get the Champions of Angor. <laughs> who's uh, Jack B. Quick, changed in the issue we just read. Uh, he was a super... He was called Captain Speed in, in this Justice League, yeah. Uh, super Speedster. We have Blue Jay, a normal man who's discovered how to shrink to the size of a bird and gain wings. I'm really wanting the explanation on that. Like, I get, <laughs> I, I get the shrinking, and I get the flying, but where do the wings come from? Well, where does Wasp get hers? Uh, we've got Silver Sorceress, who had the midriff even back in the 70s, and Wangina, uh, coincidentally, the name of an Australian aborigine god of rain. And basically their planet destroyed themselves in a nuclear fireball and they fight the Justice League. Now, here's the thing. After the fight, it's just kind of over. <laughs> Everyone shakes hands. Green Lantern is really inappropriate with Zatanna. Yes, he on is. That final page. <laughs> like, like, she looks really uncomfortable and Flash is kind of hugging on her and like, like, Barry, you're a married man. What is wrong with you? Well, but, Adam
0: Adam's hugging her, too. They're all hugging her. And it's Hal's questionable placement of his hands is the issue there. But, but then again, it's Hal, so it's not that questionable, is it?
1: So really, there's just, there's nothing to these characters in the story. There, there really isn't. I mean, they're like, they're because, here's the thing, folks. We've been dancing around it. They're the Avengers. It's very, Thor. Very,
0: very, very purposefully.
1: Yes. It's Thor, Ant-Man, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch. So it's like, they didn't have a Captain. America, but this is almost Captain America's kooky quartet. At the same time, the same month, Avengers 85 came out, and the Avengers go up against the Squadron Sinister. And who were they? They were Hyperion and Power Princess and Nighthawk, and they were the Justice League. Now, it wasn't the Squadron Sinister's first appearance. That was Avengers number 69. But I remember reading that at one point there was this stealth crossover between JLA and the Avengers. And this isn't the last time they would do this. They had, in the Freedom Fighters comic, they had the Crusaders, who were kind of like the Invaders, but in DC. Mm. And the Invaders had a similar team. So the there was, creators...
0: there was a There was a Namor-Aquaman crossover like that, too.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, where, where the same thing happened in both books because it's taking place in the same place. It's... Yeah. It's, it's re- like, if you know about it, you know about it. If you don't, it doesn't make a difference. But we read this because it was the first appearances of these characters. So I was expecting, oh, we're going to learn so much about these characters. And we didn't.
0: Yeah. Like, at all. All told, they got six pages. And one of them is, and two of them are a splash page
1: of a fight. Because I, I started reading this issue, and I'm like, okay, any second now, these characters are going to show up. And it's like, page 17. It's like, it's almost like Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, and hour and thirty minutes into the film. I'm not saying it was terrible, but I I didn't really enjoy this issue of Justice League because everything seemed so random. It seemed like all of the character introspection was forced, like there was nothing natural about it. We open on Superman working out in the Fortress of Solitude. It's some of the most melodramatic text boxes. Uh, Let let me get to the page.
0: Well, it's it's fair to say, while you're looking it up, uh, the whole issue is full of some total WTF moments. Yeah. When Batman declares himself king of the world... (laughs) And all the stuff that goes on with Atana and the Avengers analogs that are in here—it's—I've read a lot of Mike Friedrich's stuff, and I, I like most of it, but this is definitely a odd
1: one. I am Superman. Why must I keep impressing that on Earthlings? There are three and a half billion people on this planet, and I am unique, different, a stranger in a strange land. Exercising and brooding in my fortress of solitude aren't held. It's like, where did this come from? <laughs> he's having—he's had a rough week. Apparently, <laughs> I need some company to be among those that share the curse as well as the blessing of superpowers he sees zatanna he looks like dean martin on the next page by the way that that, that middle panel it's just like, hey how you doing baby shaking a drink just by being near her i feel so comfortable at ease so uh, so i guess the, the 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 secret thing of this one is that everybody wants to jump zatanna
0: i i'm in that club anyway <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about their onegina instead <laughs> <laughs> anyway, strange, yeah, very strange set of characters. Now, it's, it's interesting that this crossover idea, obviously Frederick must have planned this out with the guys who were writing Avengers at the time. I believe it was Roy Thomas. And it almost feels like maybe he either ran out of pages or he just didn't have a plan on how to bring in the, the, the Avengers characters as well as they would over there in the Avengers book. Because, again, six pages, that's all they got. And if you step back from this and you think about this, okay, this is what you said, 1971, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Here we sit 45 years later, whatever, Squadron Sinister, a.k.a. Squadron Supreme, they have a monthly book on the shelves this month.
1: Which is actually really good.
0: The Champions of, what is it, Uh I forgot what they're called. Angor. Angor. Champions of Angor surprisingly don't have their own monthly book. So I, I think it just goes to show the development that went into the characters.
1: Well, that and the fact that Mark Gruenwald wrote that 12-issue limited series of Squadron Supreme. So good. And then J. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski wrote the awesome Supreme Power. Uh, so so that's kind of a concept that kept getting brought back and developed, whereas these guys didn't. Okay, look, that's not fair. It's not anyone's fault that Paul Levitz refused to publish
0: the Champions of Agnor miniseries written by Alan Moore, I'm, I'm just saying that was going to be great, and it's a shame it never got saw publication.
1: Eventually, it became Watchmen.
0: Right? It's exactly right.
1: The, the historical accuracy of any of these statements is dubious at best, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I, I, you know, looking at this, the source material, and then reading Justice League number two, the characters that both you and I were not necessarily invested in, I sort of understand why we didn't get invested in them. But I will say, I think they were used to better effect in Justice League number two.
1: Probably. Well, they, they they actually develop the characters. They do something besides just show up, fight the Justice League, and then Blue Jay comes onto Satana. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'm still freaked out about where Green Lantern's hand was. It was just like, whoa, hell! <laughs> All right. Well, before we close out the character spotlight segment,
0: one last thing you got to talk about, right? The letters okay. page.
1: Oh yes, uh, you, we have letters in this issue from Marty Pasco, which isn't a big surprise, but also from one of the best Batman writers ever, Alan Brennert has a very entertaining letter in this in this issue yes it's a it's a little short story I kind of like it and and I'm going to mention that you can pre-order it on Amazon folks and it will be available through in-stock trade so if you want to wait till July and order it through there uh, you'll support the Fire and Water uh, network but Alan Brennert's Batman uh, collection is coming out
0: Mm. I cannot recommend that enough very cool yeah I was stunned to see those letters in there I just was bowled over by that I love going through old letters pages and either running across someone famous or finding people you know which is crazy (laughs) to find people you know in a letters page but it happens
1: like I found you
0: (laughs) that's how we met star-crossed lovers in in the letters page of Dr. Fate number 41 anyway (laughs) me we close out the character spotlight folks and we're going to go on Mike I think it's time it's the big moments what everyone's been waiting for folks it's time for the Bwahaha Award Bwahaha Award This is the segment of the show where we nominate what we think is the funniest moment in the book. Both Mike and I are going to offer up some uh, possibilities. We're going to hash it out, and only one of them is going to walk away with the coveted Wahaha Award. Mike, why don't you tell the folks at home what what joke you've picked?
1: Mine's on the second page, and that is Dr. Light to Batman, please? Did you actually say please? Here, take it quick before I faint. (laughs)
0: that's a good one that is a very good one. that was on my list as well. It just you know the expression she has on her face because you know first of all you know one thing we didn't mention is Dr. Light is never in costume in this book through yeah. any, any she's only around through I think' issue four or so um uh, but she, in, in none of the appearances she wearing her costume so she 's here in plain clothes she 's got her purse she 's yanking the the device out of her purse, and her face just looks stunned as she 's handing over the uh, the device which is an absolute hoot. I love that. Mine, I, uh, surprisingly enough, is also a Batman gag. Batman makes the perfect straight man in this book. It's, it's Guy Gardner and Batman are arguing, and Batman says, Beetle, warm up the... B-, or, I wish I could do the Batman voice. Beetle, warm up the bug. We'll be moving out. And you know, Blue Beetle's like, All right. Guy Gardner's, Tell me you're joking. Please tell me we're not getting involved in this. Batman says, I tell you, but I hate to lie.
1: <laughs> do you want me to interview like the Diedrich Bader Batman? Sure. Beetle, warm up the bug. We'll be moving out. I'd tell you, but I hate to lie. <laughs> I teach you, but I'd have to charge.
0: Well, swear to me. Both of them are good bits. Batman is great at delivering the straight lines. Now we have to decide which bit is actually funnier. If you had to choose, Mike, which one would you choose?
1: I'd actually have to agree with you. Just from setup to delivery, the entire gag is funny on that panel. Whereas mine's kind of a one, a funny sitcom. Like I could, I could see Marky Post delivering the the Doctor Light line, where this is more of a Cheers gag.
0: I, I think I have to agree with you. I think this one is set up a little bit better. Her, again, as you said, the one line works, but here it's it's everything's done in concert with the different characters. So mm-hmm. I, I think we've got to give the award to uh to Batman, not to Dr. Light. I think Batman wins the Wahaha Award this episode. Congratulations, Batman. You have won the coveted Wahaha Award. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. So enjoy it. Wear it well, <laughs> Mr. Wayne. All right, folks. We are. At, I'm. I'm a little sad. We're at the point now where we have to say goodbye to Mike. Um, actually, I'm not Aww. sad at all. I'm thankful to thankful to get him off the show. Really, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you in the interwebs, Mike?
1: Uh, they can find me beating shag up. Um. <laughs> No, the main place you can find me is Views from the Long Box, which you can find at com. It is my uh, somewhat regular show where I talk about anything and everything I want to talk about in the world of comics, and sometimes Star Wars. Uh, I also co-host From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast where Jeffrey Taylor and I are busy making our way through the post-crisis era of Superman and around the time of this we will be have just finished covering Shag's favorite era of the post-crisis Superman the death of Clark Kent
0: okay if you want to call it that that's perfectly fine so horribly so horribly, mis-
1: fortress- horribly mislabeled but <laughs> you can call it that but you can find that at the fortress of awesome
0: mike well i really appreciate being on the show it's been an absolute blast uh, i would say i look forward to having you on again but i don't really i'm not gonna have you back i i, I gotta keep changing up co-hosts you know that's the way it goes so it's okay i'm fine Folks,
1: please say say goodbye
0: to Mike as security escorts him out of the embassy. We're going to do another podcast break. When we come back, we will do your listener feedback. And when the evening comes, we smile. In 1994, Mark Wade, Brian Augustine, and Barry Kitson began exploring the beginnings of the world's greatest superhero team over an epic 12-issue comic maxi-series. And yes, we've just begun. That team was the Justice League of America, and that comic was JLA Year One. In 2016, eight podcasts will come together to cover this series in a single month. That month is J.L. May. Featuring the Fire and Water Podcast, The Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, The Lantern Cast, Supermates Podcast, The Idlehead Head of Diablo, Comic Reflections, and Views from the Long Box. Each podcast will cover one or two issues of JLA year one, and then coverage will move from show to show. It all starts in the Fire & Water podcast with issues one and two. J.L. May, an epic month for an epic series. Available where you find all good podcasts. All right, folks, we're back from break. Now, the promo you just heard for JL May is a podcast crossover we're putting together. We think it's going to be a lot of fun. Just want to say thanks to the folks over at the Waiting for Doom podcast and our friend Dr. Ange. That was their brainchild for us to cover JLA year one. Really looking forward to that all through the month of May. Now, pulling back the curtain just a little bit. Everything you've heard so far in this episode was recorded a couple of months ago. The segment you're hearing right now is being recorded the week the episode's going to be released. And folks, I am sick. I am sick as a dog. So my voice probably sounds a little bit different than it did just in the segment before this. Sorry about that, but I promise it's still me. A couple of quick items before we get rolling on your feedback. If you need more Justice League International in your life, and really... Who doesn't? You should be listening to Ryan Daly's Secret Origins Podcast. Now, Ryan Daly is the guy who was with me in Episode 1 of this show, and his Secret Origins Podcast can be found as uh, out on iTunes and all the various podcatchers as Secret Origins Podcast or as part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. On Episodes 33, 34, and 35 of his show, he's covering those issues of Secret Origins that featured the JLI characters. So check those out. Uh, really great listens. Lots of fun. Ryan and lots of guests covering those. Um, I- I'm not on any of those episodes, oddly enough. I mean, I had Ryan on my JLI show. you think perhaps he would invite invited me for his Secret Origins show, but I guess we're not those kinds of friends. Hm, who knew? If you need even more Justice League in your life, our buddy Mike Peacock is soon going to be launching a new podcast dedicated to the classic Justice League of America. That series is going to be called Justice's First Dawn. It's not out yet, but he'll be covering the classic JLA run, and he'll be using his JLA teleporter to cover randomized issues coverage. So he'll be covering different arcs, he'll be jumping around from maybe the early days, maybe he'll cover some Mike Sikowski, maybe cover some JLA JSA crossovers, some satellite or whatever he happens to be in the mood for. So, again, keep your eyes out for Justice's First Dawn. Alright folks, that's going to wrap up those quick items I wanted to cover. Now, we're going to move on to your listener feed for the first episode of JLI Bwahaha Podcast, in a segment I just had to call. Justice Log. And the first piece of feedback we're going to cover is from someone named, let me see if I can read this right, J.M. mateus Seriously? Yeah, that's right. Um, Mr. DiMatteis was kind enough to give the show a listen. Sincerely appreciate that. Thank you, Mark. And over on Twitter, Mark wrote, Fun podcast. By the way, I wasn't the one asking Helfer to let him write JLA. That was Giffen. If you read that somewhere, it was inaccurate. There was an article some years ago that attributed Giffen's quote to me. That's where the confusion arose. Well, thank you, Mark, for clarifying that. Yes, I must have read that article or I just made a mistake and misattributed that. I had said on the podcast that... Mark had been bothering Helfer to write, uh, as well as Giffen. So it turns out just Giffen was the one pestering poor Andy Helfer. So Mark's off the hook. Looks like Giffen's really just, you know, the obnoxious, bothersome one. (laughs) Just kidding. No offense, Mr. Giffen. Also, earlier in this episode, we talked about how Justice League 3001 had been canceled. However, I've got some good news. There is a new comic coming out. From DC Comics. It is scheduled to be released May 25th, 2016. It is called Scooby Apocalypse, number one. And, uh, it is a Scooby Doo themed series. It is scripted by J.M.D. Mateus and Keith Giffen. Story by Keith Giffen and Jim Lee with art by Howard Porter. Woohoo! So how's that? Uh, it has to do with those meddling kids, Fred, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy, and their dog Scooby Doo. They, uh, let's see, I'll read the description here. Get more ghost debunking than they bargain for when faced with a fundamental change in their world. The apocalypse has happened. Old rules about logic no longer apply. The creatures of the night are among us, and the crew of the magical mystery machine has to fight to survive. Because in the apocalyptic badlands of the near future, the horrors are real. So, be sure to check that out, folks. Coming from DC Comics in May, support uh, the creators of JLI, JMD Mateas, and Keith Giffen. Alright, more of your feedback. Folks, I'm going to talk about iTunes reviews first. Please, if you get a chance, go out to iTunes, uh, look for Justice League International Blahaha Podcast, and if you don't mind, please leave us an iTunes review. We've only got a handful right now, and those iTunes reviews are so helpful for people to find the show. I'm going to read the ones that we have so far. Thank you to these folks. They're very, very useful for the show. P.K. Gamecock wrote in, about time, and he actually wrote this before the first episode came out. He wrote, I know this hasn't officially gone live yet, but I love the Justice League run so much, and Shag always does a killer job. Well, thank you, PK. I appreciate that. It's very kind of you to say. Geekarino wrote, fantastic. Wonderful podcast about a hilarious Justice League. Lots of fun. Grab your Oreos and enjoy. Really appreciate that, Geekarino. Then my buddy Chris Franklin, who's part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, does the Supermates podcast and the Power Records podcast, says the Iridee Shag recruits a super team of podcast luminaries to discuss the now-classic Justice League run spearheaded by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. Each episode covers an issue of the comic and also features character profiles and discussion on DC's other comics out the same month. If you ever thought the idea of superheroes was even the slightest bit funny, you owe it to yourself to give this show a listen. You're sure to blah-ha-ha a bit yourself. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. Then Gene Hendricks wrote, um, by the way, Gene Hendricks is from the Hammer podcast, the Legends of Superheroes podcast, and the Two True Freaks Network. He wrote, this is my Justice League. Having gotten into DC Comics post-crisis, this is the Justice League I think of first. No, it's not the greatest version or the most powerful, but it's consistently the most enjoyable. The whole workplace comedy concept was really fresh back when it started, and it was a great counterpoint to the darkening of characters like Batman. Shag does a great job going over everything and bringing me right back to reading these off the stands. Thanks, Gene. Much appreciated. And then uh, lastly, got a co- uh, comment from Jerusalem Jack. He says, love this league. I've wanted someone to do a podcast about this version of the league for so long. Now I hope it hasn't disappeared. Please tell me that a new episode is not far from coming out. Shag is great and I want more. Keep the wah coming. Well, Jack, as you can see, here's episode number two. It's going to be a monthly show, so it'll come out probably in the third week of each month. All right. With the iTunes reviews out of the way, now I'm going to touch on comments that we either received on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, where you can also leave comments and interact with everyone, emails we got, stuff on social media. Um, Folks, I compile all the feedback for these types of shows. What I do is I take all the comments from our website and all the emails, iTunes, everything, like I just said, and I put it in one Google Doc so that I can sort of go through it and figure out what I want to read. And let me tell you guys, you guys are amazing. The support you have come out and given for this show in just one episode, it it warms my heart. It blows me away. And quite honestly, I'm humbled. And that doesn't happen very often, me being humbled, that is. Altogether, it's 19 pages of feedback. Oh, my gosh. So obviously I can't cover that, all of that, at least right now, because that would be longer than the main show itself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull bits and pieces of each comment, at least give a a shout-out to each person that did something for us here, and uh, we'll just blow through this as quick as possible. If I've somehow missed you, if you left a comment and I missed it, I apologize. Please shoot me an email, let me know, say, hey, Shag, you slacker, you missed it, because, you know, I'm not perfect i'm pretty close but i'm not perfect so first we heard from michelle fief who's actually a comics professional michelle wrote in congratulations on a strong debut and now i'm going to pull from his comments i'm not going to read every word he wrote so i'm just going to pull bits and pieces he says i believe maguire was also slated to draw the silver surfer series at the same time as justice league after joining the first issue of justice league he quickly reconsidered and bowed out you know what michelle you're absolutely right i forgot to mention that that is uh he, uh, Kevin Maguire's talked about that on a couple different occasions. Yes, he was going to draw a silver server, so, hmm, interesting. And anyway, Michelle goes on to say, Also, we all remember Grant Morrison's JLA launch in 96, right? It was noted by a reviewer at the time, or maybe by Grant himself, that the art direction on that JLA cover, drawn by Howard Porter, tried to be the exact opposite of Kevin Maguire's, whose camera angle looked down on the heroes, casting them in the, casting them in the too-human, sort-of-down-to-earth light. JLA, on the other hand, made the readers look up at the heroes in their uh, oh-so-magnificent splendor, which makes sense, considering they wanted to get away from anything humorous. Hmm! I never thought about the contrast of that. You're right. Uh, Kevin McGuire's, you're looking down. Coward Porters, you're looking up at the heroes. And uh, then Michelle goes on to say, And you tell me, how many times has Porter's cover been swiped? Very good point. So, uh, hmm, gives you something to think about, folks. Then Drew Bear wrote in to say, Love the podcast. It absolutely exceeded my expectations. I just have one correction. I believe Terry Austin also did the inks on issue number six huh, okay, I had said on the episode that Terry Austin only inked issue one and the final issue of the D. Giffen-McGuire run, so thank you, Drew. So Drew says it was also issue six, thank you for the correction, I appreciate that. And then Michelle Fief came back and said, actually issue six says Austin on the cover, but it was Al Gordon who credited inside. Huh, thank you, Michelle, for that correction. Now I retract my correction to Drew and call Drew a dirty-lying bastard. So, up next is uh, Bradley Null, and Bradley says, I can see now that a lot of what I would go on to love About non-superhero comics comes from this series. That is the weird thing about this series. It's always an excellent comic, but not always a good superhero story. And he also goes on then to talk about how much he loved the Detroit League. So always, uh, always happy to find another Justice League Detroit fan. Joe X wrote in to say you guys are criticizing the pre-computer coloring for not being up to modern day standards. DC didn't even start experimenting with computer coloring until 1989. Uh, You know what, Joe? That may have been my fault. I was not criticizing the coloring. I was just trying to make an observation about some choices I felt the colorist had made for doing one solid color on a particular uh, outfit versus transitioning colors, because that was possible back then, the transitioning colors. So if it came off as criticizing, that's my bad. So sorry about that. And then Joe goes on to point out that this issue, um, being Justice League number one, was nominated for an Eisner Award for best single issue. Wow. All right. Fantastic. Then heard from Dan Budnick. He says 1985 and 1986 were my super huge years for collecting comics. Who's Who and Doctor Who were my favorites. But aside from those, I was all about Ambush Bug. And when I thought of Ambush Bug, the name that resonated in my 12-year-old mind was Giffen. Then he goes on a little later to say, I do like Batman in this. Two nights ago, I rewatched Batman Returns, which I do about twice a year. I can't see this Batman caring about the bureaucracy of the Justice League, but I love these DC characters because they bend and move and reform to fill a hundred different places. All sorts of different functions. And they're all fun. The JLI Batman seems to be fulfilling obligations to the former Justice League, and that's something to admire. Well, thanks, Dan. I appreciate your comments. You had me when you mentioned Doctor Who, and then you lost me when you mentioned Batman Returns. Moving on, Jeff Nettleton said, about the talking heads on TV exposition, that's something Ryan and I talked about last episode. He says, Howard Shakin was doing that in America. American flag before Frank Miller drew that in Dark Knight Returns. Michelle Fief then came in and said, Miller did the TV screen as panels way back in Daredevil 169 in 1980. American Flag was 1983. So then Miller, Chaikin, and Simonson were studio mates for a bit, though, and I'm sure a lot of other ideas and approaches were shared during that time. Jeff continued the conversation, saying, if we keep going, we'll find examples of all kinds of art, just different ways of presenting the TV footage. So uh, they were both extrapolating on past techniques. So I I guess bottom line, wrapping that up, and this is Shag, I don't think we're going to figure out where the TV technique started, but clearly it has a long, long history. Jeff Nuttleton continued to write in and wrote what appears to be uh, maybe an encyclopedia of comments, which is always appreciated. Jeff's uh, very, very thorough in his feedback, and it's really, really appreciated. And I'm not just saying that like three times to be nice. I, I I probably mean it, Jeff. So, Jeff goes on to talk about the Legends miniseries and how much he enjoyed that and then he says, then in the solicitation for Justice League with the iconic Maguire cover came about. This was intriguing. The book captured my attention from the start. As you said, it's not pure comedy at the start. The first few issues are pretty much adventure with some witty dialogue and some great facial expressions. That was another element that captured my attention. I had been sampling the independent comic world and this seemed to fit more in that aesthetic than it did in the traditional DC. I was hooked. And as the comedy increased, I stayed. And he said character studies became more of the top draws rather than big action stories, though there was plenty of those too. Again, much of that had to do with the influence of the independent comics. Uh, He also wanted to comment on the Guy Gardner versus Black Canary thing. We we were wondering when they had first met. And he says, don't forget that Guy resurfaced in the Green Lantern, Green Arrow story. So Canary knew him from long ago. Hmm, Interesting. Uh, Chris Franklin, who I mentioned earlier, he says, also, not sure you knew this, but James Tucker and the folks behind Batman the Brave and the Bold were angling to have uh, Batman Brave and the Bold picked up as a Justice League International animated series. That's why the team features so heavily in those later episodes. Too bad Cartoon Network did didn't give them the green light. Then we heard from Rob Kelly, who is, quite frankly, my podcasting life partner, uh, from the Fire & Water podcast, the Who's Who podcast, he does his own Power Records podcast, the Film & Water podcast, the Pod Dylan podcast. The guy, that's all he does is talking on a microphone. It's crazy. It says, Great job, fellas. A good start to the show. I distinctly remember t- making a special trip to a nearby Heroes World store, rest in peace, to pick up this book. I loved the JLA for so long, and I had been disappointed over the last two years or so of the book. Then, then this new version with Marquee Heroes, really excited me. I had my dad drive me over there on a Saturday morning just to pick it up and was not disappointed. Heard from our buddy Siskoid, also from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does the First Strike Invasion podcast, the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast, the Ohotmoo podcast, uh, which is hot or not, hilarious. And he also has his own Siskoid's blog at Geekery, Uh, He said about our podcast, I loved it. Some really great ideas for running features and good production values. Hmm, Thanks, Discord. He says, Ryan pointed out that this was the first true post-crisis team with elements from various former Earths. That point from Ryan was brilliant and worth the listen all by itself. Then we heard from Clinton Robison from the Comics and Coffee blog. He said, I want a reality where Shag, Rob Kelly, Ryan Daly, uh, Siskoid, and Chris Franklin all dress as the Injustice League. The only problem is I can see them all fighting over who gets to be Big Sir." Then Michael Wagner actually chimed in and assigned us all roles within the Injustice League, which actually is pretty dead on. If you know any of us, this is kind of kind of fitting. He said Ryan Daly would be Cluemaster. I would be Major Disaster. Siskoid would be the Clock King. Uh, Rob Kelly would be Multi Man, uh, Chris Franklin would be Big Sir, and Michael Bailey would be our friend, the Mighty Bruce. So, thank you for that, guys. We appreciate that. Uh, or maybe we don't. I'm not entirely sure. Chuck Coletta wrote in to say, Great episode on the, on a great series. I bought JLI as it was coming out and totally enjoyed it from the start. It was a nice counterbalance to all of the grim, gritty superheroes that washed ashore following Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. Boy, Chuck, I got to tell you, you're absolutely right. This was a bit of a breath of fresh air, wasn't it? Then we heard from Dr. Ange, who does the Supergirl blog uh, called Comic Box Commentary. It says, like Shag... I was trending towards the more, quote, mature books at the time this came out, so I only bought the first issue. It seemed too funny for me at the time. It's only now, as I see these books in the dollar bin, that I begin to slowly piecing together a collection. So listening to this will be like charting unknown waters, and now that I'm in my, quote unquote, find my joy part of my life, I've enjoyed them immensely. And he says he would like to add that the Giffen Demetrius Maguire Metal men in the back of Giffen's Doom Patrol comic was also wonderful. Yes, that's a great, great point from my buddy Buck Rowlett. He goes, when this comic came out, I was a year old. I had never read this series, so I'm going to read along with the show and buy my issues on the Comixology app. There we go. Look at that. A new reader checking out the podcast and checking out the comic at the same time. I am very much interested in hearing Buck's feedback as he goes through and reading it. Now, then he says, I'm calling you out, Shag, for your music choice. Christmas music? Are you really going to use First Snow by Trans-Siberian Orchestra as your theme music? That's a bold choice for a show that isn't really a holiday. A themed good catch buck. Yes, that isn't uh, the, our theme song that we use in the show. Does in fact come from Trans Siberian Orchestra and it's called First Snow. And it doesn't even remotely sound like a Christmas song. It sounds like a superhero theme from the '80s. Uh, I was directed to that by actually by Michael Bailey. He suggested it. He gave me a couple different choices. I said, you know, Mike's great at orchestrating and and putting sound music to his podcast. And so I asked help He gave me a couple suggestions, and I fell in love with this one. So that's where it came from. And uh, shh, don't tell anybody that it's actually of Christmas Music says Guy Gardner is not likable in this era I don't find any redeeming qualities to him until much later I'm a huge Green Lantern fan but I would go back and change Guy during this time in the JLI he's less of a douche than in the Green Lantern books but he's still pretty annoying I do know that he's part of some of the better jokes of the series, and I hope I will find him less irritating during these issues. Um, Buck, you're probably not going to find Guy to be less irritating. However, I think you will begin to love him as someone that you uh, love to hate. So, let's put it that way. Heard from our buddy Jimmy McGlinchy, he says, My secret origin is slightly different in that being from, uh, he's from the south of Ireland. There were no comic books around at the time, and in 1989, with a Batman movie out, there was a UK monthly reprint. ...comic being sold on the newsagents, which reprinted the classic Wagner, Grant, and Brayfogle run, which I devoured instantly. A Superman monthly reprint book soon followed, which reprinted the Burn run. I was not going to get that, but then I saw there was another comic reprinted uh, with that featuring Batman called the Justice League. The first reprint I read was Justice League number 3, which had that opening splash page of the JLI and Creeper looking at the camera. Apart from Batman, I didn't have a clue who anyone on the page was, but I was drawn immediately into the story by the brilliant art and funny dialogue. A few months later, when I started university in Cork, a fledgling comic shop opened in the city, and it was there that I bought my first U.S. comic, which was Justice League Quarterly number no. one, and the trade paperback Justice League: A New Beginning. From that point on, I was hooked, and after a few years, soon I had all the back issues of the JLI run, and it was branching out into other DC comics. A little later, he says, "I would slightly disagree with you on the Bwahaha Award moment." He says, "And from issue number one, because mine would be Blue Beetle sitting in the bug, uh, interfering with the terrorist communications as the rest." of the Justice League are um, taking the checkpoints out. He's thinking to himself that he should be out there kicking butt with the rest of the Justice League, but as the terrorists are trying to contact another of the party, he has to hold his nose and imitate another terrorist, thinking, God, this is so embarrassing. Very funny stuff. I'm glad you brought that up. That's fantastic, Jimmy. In fact, I, I suggest to everyone listening, if you don't like the Bwahaha Award that we give out each episode first tough, that's just the way it's going to be. And two, uh, I think you should write in and tell us what you think the blah ha, ha moment should be. I'd love to hear that stuff from you guys. Then we heard from my buddy Jay Jones, who does the Silver and Gold podcast, featuring Captain Adam and Booster Gold. He says, Fantastic show, Shag. It was everything I expected with the excellent subject matter, highly entertaining guests, and a somewhat capable host. How could it have been anything other than awesome? I'm looking forward to revisiting the series with you. Huh. Um, after that kind of dig, I'm not so sure if I should thank you or not, Jay. Hmm... Heard from my buddy Martin Martin Gray, who does the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. He says, I was with this book from the start, having been reading Justice League of America since about issue 100. Well, exactly issue 100. I remember what a big impression this person calling herself Wonder Woman made on me. Surely the chick in a white sweater dress isn't the amazing Amazon. And the seven soldiers of victory? Who the heck are they? Anyway, I read all through that to the end of the satellite era and love the Detroit stories as well. Well, I'm sure I've said that previously. Those final stories with Dispro and Professor Iva were so powerful and I was so delighted to see that moment with the Martian Manhunter erasing the files. So poignant. Up next we heard from my buddy Diablo Frank. Now if you don't know Frank he is legendary in the realms of blogging and podcasting. Most recently he's been involved with the Rolled Spine Podcast Network which includes shows dedicated to Marvel superheroes, Martian Manhunter, The Atom, Captain Atom, Wonder Woman, Bloodlines, and uh, Independent Comics, bunch of stuff. So Frank left some comments and he starts with uh, My understanding is that the Grant Moore designed cover for JLA number one. Now, folks, this is the one we talked about a little while ago. Uh, he says, which he loves. Frank loves this cover. And then Michelle Feef asked why no one ever homages it. Frank asked that same question, but in a different way. Frank actually likes the JLA number one cover. So, he says, I even bought a set of the figures where Martian Manhunter was modeled after his appearance on the cover, and the package layout was similar. It probably hurt its impact, though, that Alex Ross had already done so many sourpuss, upshot lineups of DC heroes for Kingdom Come, and I think folks were getting kind of sick of that angle. He goes on a little later to say, I don't know who suddenly decided that Chuck Dixon was the exemplar of authoritarian Batman writing, because most folks point to Frank Miller, and I contend it goes back to w- Mike W. Barr on The Outsiders. Hm. Uh, it's kind of a unique opinion, I think, Frank, but you know what? You're a unique guy. Heard from my buddy Jose Rivera, who says, I can't wait to dive back into an issue every month to follow along with you and guest host Shag. You seem to have the same love and appreciation for these books that I do. It's really like visiting old friends again. And then... Then he sent me a picture of his Justice League International collection, which he has actually collected and had bound in hardcovers. They're these gorgeous hardbound volumes. Looks like he's got, uh, what is that, six or seven volumes of these things, all in hardback with a beautiful spine. This is, you know, Justice League International, Justice League Quarterly, etc. They're gorgeous, and I'm just that much more jealous. And, Jose, if you could send me your address and when you won't be home, that would be appreciated. Then I heard from Rook Wilder, who said, I remember when that issue was brand new, and I remember not liking it then, but rereading it later, I do like it. Frankly, I'm a huge Giffen fan which it didn't set out to be. But after Ambushbug and Son of Ambushbug, I began to realize I was a Giffen fan. Heard from Headley or Headley Brown. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, buddy. I'm famous for mispronouncing stuff. So terribly sorry. Welcome to the club. He says, You are bang on with the standout moments of this issue. But I'd like to add one of my own. The moment during the League's assault on the UN building where Blue Beetle holds his nose as he broadcasts over the terrorist radios with Checkpoint 2 reporting, all clear. God, this is embarrassing. Repeat, All clear. See, a second vote for that Blue Beetle scene at the U.N. building. So uh, there you go. Keep writing in with your Bahaha ha moments. I love to hear those. Later on, he goes on to say, just to ensure the podcast lasts longer, might I suggest a couple of comics you missed on your rundown of the series? The first would be the short story from J.L.A., 80-page giant number one from July 1998 called Mouse Hunt. It was written by Giffen, no Demetrius, though, drawn by Maguire, and is set between issues five and six. It has Gardner coming to after that one punch and involves Beetle and Booster dealing with a rodent problem. It's very funny stuff. The second would be DC Retroactive, JLA the 90s. Published in the space between the end of Flashpoint and the beginning of the New 52, it featured a quote-unquote team-up between the JLI and the Injustice League. It was a great final boha ha and perhaps the last issue number one cover homage. You know what, Hedley, um, those are some great suggestions. Now, I have to ask a favor of you. Please write me in five years and remind me of those, if you don't mind, because the likelihood of me remembering between now and then isn't terribly high. But those do sound like great cover, uh, comics to cover. Heard from my buddy Lucien Dessar. He says, I never picked up JLI when it came out in the stores because at the time, the comic book store I went to had all the quote unquote cool nerds that read stuff like Sandman and Grendel. They constantly were bitter about Superman and company, so I never read it until last night! Your podcast inspired me to pick up the trade paperback, and I read the first two issues. Holy bat smokes, it was fantastic! This series still holds up well today, uh, compared to today's comic book standards, and is perfect timing, since I think comic books are going back to having some more fun and humor in it. I hope you're right, Lucian. I think comic books need some more joy in them. Heard from Rob Williams, who does the Generation X-Wing podcast. He wrote in to say, I just want to send a letter to say that the wait was well worth it. The JLI podcast is officially must listen for me. Now, over on his uh, Gen X Wing podcast Twitter feed. He's been posting pictures of his classroom. I, I assume he's a teacher, which sort of terrifies me that he's molding the minds of tomorrow. But whatever. Anyway, in his classroom, where he's he's got like Justice League International characters actually painted on the wall of the classroom. How cool is that? That's awesome. Heard from our buddy Al Girding, uh, who goes by Van Z, who does the All Star Comics Review podcast. Al spends too much time alone thinking, I believe, because he's come up with a fascinating theory that also scares me a little bit. He says, I love this version of the Justice League because they are a quasi-JSA team, Justice Society. Now, you're probably wondering what's he talking about. Follow this logic, folks. Both the JLI and the JSA, but they both have Green Lanterns, they have Flashes, they have Black Canaries, Dr. Fates, Hawkman was reincarnated from past lives to fight villains of the present with weapons of the past. Booster comes from the future to fight villains of the present with weapons of the future. Both Dr. Midnight and Beetle are both men of science who wear goggles and use different methods to blind their opponents. Mr. Miracle and Johnny Thunder were both taken from their homes as children, only to return later being able to perform miraculous deeds. Both have beings that have godly powers bestowed upon them, Spectre and Captain Marvel. Both have short guys, Al Pratt and Oberon. Both have royal princesses who come to America from mythical lands, Wonder Woman and Ice. Both teams had a Huntress join them after a while. Then he says, don't even get me started if I throw in Justice League Europe because of Power Girl and the Earth 2 Superman. And he goes on to talk about Starman with clunky headgear, big star on his chest, uses technology to become a superhero, and isn't a member right away. Hmm, sounds a lot like Rocket Red to me. And, And then Al continues to post post about these comparisons between the JSA and the JLI, and he wonders if Giffen and Demetrius purposely were molding the JLI to be sort of like the JSA. He's convinced they might have, so fascinating. I'd love to hear uh, Mark Demetrius' opinion on that. Her from Zeb Oswald, He said, I like the Black Canary as Olivia Newton-John costume. You can almost hear her sing, let's get physical, physical. Um, and he says, all kidding, it's still a fun costume. Makes more sense than her wearing fishnets and a bustier to fight crime with judo skills. You got a fair point there, Zeb. Heard from Chris Bailey. He said, Great job, guys. The JLI was absolutely my Justice League. The Bohaha era was by far the best version of the League, in my opinion. The Justice League these days suffers from the same fate as the DC movie universe. Overly dark and serious, and there's only so much of it that I can take before I walk away. The lighthearted tone of JLI won me over, and I followed that title to its grave. Heard from Brian Yardley. He says, God, I love this book. I was introduced to the book by my sixth grade teacher, who used comic books in the classroom as a way to get kids to enjoy reading. He always had JLI, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, and Hulk books in the classroom to read. This made sense, since most kids would know who these characters were from TV show and cartoons. I got into comics right after the JLI I'm sorry, JLA, JLE split. So I guess we're talking around issue twenty four, so but spent my years raking <laughs> but spent my years raking leaves, shoveling snow, and mowing lawns to earn money to go back and buy as many of the back issues as I could while still picking up the new books. That's an awesome story. By the way, folks, if you have... An origin story about the JLI, either how you discovered them, or something like what Brian shared here about raking yards in order to make money by the comics. Please write in and share those. I love hearing people's origin stories with comics because everyone's got a fun tale with a, with their favorite comics. I uh, heard from Gord Tolt. He said, "I strongly support your Meanwhile episode on Justice League Detroit, a vastly misunderstood era. As I'm not one of those guys who feels the league needs to be the so-called A-list. Many things contributed to Justice League Detroit's lackluster execution, but the idea was." sound to begin with totally agree Gord. absolutely uh alan leach jr he sent in a picture of his poster (laughs) you may or may not know this there was a poster produced in around 1987 it's the justice league international right about the time of probably issue number eight probably around moving day or maybe it's around issue 12 Ooh, i'm not sure you know because i didn't own one of these things anyway it's got the justice league international it's got the whole team there including captain adam and Rocket Red. It's now Rocket Red number 7, so maybe that's where I need to do my research. Either way, it's a great shot. In fact, I use it on Facebook and Twitter as sort of the banner header. It's the whole team. It's called Class of 1987. Anyway, Alan wrote in, You said, I came across this while putting away some stuff in the attic, and I figured this was the place to post it. Awesome. Love that poster. Then Brian Hughes said uh, that we had mentioned, or more specifically, Ryan Daly had mentioned that John Byrne had pitched a Black Canary series. Brian found the picture on John Byrne's website of the Black Canary designs, and I believe it's also reprinted in the Modern Masters John Byrne book, if I remember correctly. Heard from Leslie Hall Trigg III. He said, originally, I didn't like the JLI, but I, as an adult, I've revisited it, and I love it. because I also want to echo the call to read JL, Justice League 3000 and 3001, my favorite book of the New 52. Awesome. Thank you, Leslie. I'm glad you're enjoying those books. I love them. Heard from Dale Russell. He says, I do miss the style of comic writing. To me, the Avengers movie has the same feel as this comic. Hmm. There's a, there is definitely a sense of fun there. Then we heard from Ryan Daly. Yeah, that guy who was in Episode 1. Of course, you know him from the Fire & Water Podcast Network. His Secret Origins, Power Fishnets, Give Me Those Star Wars. He's hanging around in, in a Circle K late at night on a Saturday night because he's got nothing better to do. Uh, he wrote on Facebook, as he as he helped to promote the show, he said, Shag knows the secret to any great podcast pilot episode is to include me. Boy, Ryan, uh, humble much, huh? Then David Ace Gutierrez, my buddy, came in and says, This is my favorite era of the Justice League. Nice work, Shag. Incidentally, what does Ryan have on you that he was picked to be your first guest? Well, I think we addressed that this episode. It's the blackmail. Heard from Sean Corey, he said, Put the first episode on last night and promptly fell asleep. Good job, Shag thanks I guess Uh, then he goes on to say it was 3 in the morning so actually the podcast probably had nothing to do with it thanks for that John heard from Craig 101 he goes he didn't realize next year will be the 30th anniversary of the Justice League International I know isn't that crazy 30 years Carlos Mucho wrote in, this was the first Justice League I collected in Argentina. Great episode. Huh. Argentina? Alright, folks, we're officially an international podcast. We're perfect for Justice League International. Heard from Aaron Head Moss from the Headcast Network, which includes a podcast dedicated to Suicide Squad, Manhunter, Starman, G.I. Joe, lots of great stuff. He wrote in to say, I reread the first two issues before listening to the first episode. Fantastic job, Shag and Ryan. Can't wait for the next episode. Heard from Engineer, that's his handle on Twitter. He says, I'm so glad this podcast is here when I can go all fan crazy over the JLI looking forward to the next episode and then he says your recommendation for Justice League 3000 and 3000 is totally correct as soon as I heard it was Giffen and Demetrius I put it on my pull list then I heard from Matthew Thomas Cody this guy he's got some serious dedication this is before the podcast even launched he sent me a picture via Twitter and it says this guy guy being capitalized this guy is ready for the JLI Blah ha, ha Podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He was wearing a Green Lantern t-shirt, he had a Green Lantern ring on, and he was getting a haircut, and they had shaved the sides of his head. I'm telling you, he looked like Guy Gardner. It was hysterical. Well done, Matthew Thomas Cody. Well played, sir. Heard from my buddy Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast. And by the way, Paul's in Australia, so again, international podcast here. We're, we're successful in carrying on that banner for the Just League International. He says, this podcast, meaning JLI, uh, podcast is a serious contender for my Desert Island podcast if I could only have one. Wow, Paul! After one episode, I'm pretty flattered. I hope we haven't let you down. Then, folks, we heard from a zillion other folks. I'm just going to name-check several people who, who left us very nice messages uh, congratulating us or telling us how much they like it, but I'm just going to name-check several in the interest of time here. Uh, Alan Todd, Mike Zumo, Thomas Favi, Michael Scudero, Richard Field, Jim Rimolde, Andrew in Belfast, John Ascot Jared Alberich, Caffeinated Joe, Sean Bamba, Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks in the 90s Comics Retrial, Gigatron 2000, I love that name, Justin Steiner, and then uh, my buddy Keith G. Baker, and when I say buddy, I use the term loosely, he said, You guys knocked this one out of the park. You should have held back some. Nothing but downhill from here. Thanks a lot, Keith. Really appreciate that. Up next, there is a lot of folks... Who are kind enough to share this show, meaning promoting the show, on their own social media timelines, whether it be on Facebook or Twitter, they shared it or retweeted it or whatever. What I'm about to read, folks, is a very long list of names. I realize that. It probably sounds like me reading the phone book. However, these folks showed their support of this show, promoted it on their own timelines, and I, I think it's important that we recognize them for doing that. So I'm going to read these folks, because, you know, a lot of these folks, it might be the only time they're mentioned on this show, but you know what? I appreciate their support of the show and they're just a part of this community just like everyone else. So the first person I want to thank for, uh, retweeting the show on their, on their social media is JMD Mateus. Thank you so much, Mark. That's awesome. All right. Now I'm going to run for this, through this next group of folks here. Here we go. Strap in, folks. Thanks to Al Gerding, Al Sedano, All-Star Comics Podcast Review, Andre Jenkins, Andrew in Belfast, Andy Kapelish, Dr. Ange, Barry Reese, Bas Levisk, Bill Baer, Blake M. Petit, Brian Yardley, Buck Roulette, Chris Franklin, Chris Sheena, Chuck Rodriguez, Cindy Womack, Clinton Robison, Coffee and Comics Blog, Comic Reflections, Comic Reviews by Walt, Daniel Budnick, Danny Dowell, David Baer Jr., DC in the 80s, Decca Black, Devin Clancy, Diablo Frank, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Ed Moore, Engineer, and Nigo Montoya. Wow, you killed my father. prepared to die. Gabriel M. Cox, Jason Barlow, Jay Jones, John M. Wilson, Jonathan Brown, Jose Rivera, Josh Epstein, J.P. Paulus, Con L, Chord Industry, Lucas Yap, Mark's Mess Podcast, Michael Bailey, Oli Alameda, Oscar Olede, Over Jupiter, Paul Hicks, Paul Riches, Pulp the Pixel Podcast, Richard Field, Rob Kelly, and uh, by the way, thanks to Rob, again, my podcasting life mate. He also, on Facebook, he actually changed his profile picture the day the show came out to our show logo. Thanks for that, man. I really appreciate that. Robert Lewis, Roger Priebe, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly, Shout at the Devil Podcast, Silver and Gold Podcast, Ciscoid, Steve T-Shirt Meter, Sin, The 108th Sage, The Only Caesarian, Ultron Is My Elvis, and Willie Yarbrough. Thank you so much to all of you folks folks. Now, as we come to the conclusion here, it is time for another award. And I just came up with this a few minutes ago, folks. (laughs) I didn't even know I was going to be giving an award during the feedback. However, someone did something wonderful. They went above and beyond to help celebrate the JLI podcast. So I'm proud to announce, folks, that I have created the Double Stuff Award. That's right, folks. We are going to award the Double Stuff Award. And if you don't get the joke, Read some more of these comics, and then go to the grocery store, for goodness sakes, people. Get out of your house. Get out of your parents' basement. Anyway, this will be an occasional award we'll give out during the feedback. And again, it's going to go to someone that goes above and beyond to promote either the JLI or specifically this podcast. And this week, it's going to go out to Mr. Derek Crabb. Congratulations, Derek. Derek sent us two different things. One was, yeah, on Facebook, he posted some images of the Justice League sourcebook from Mayfair Games. And he had the poster that came with it framed. And he had gotten, actually, that signed by Kevin McGuire, which is pretty cool. But that's not what he won the award for. What he won the award for was he took... An action figure setup of a basketball court, and took all the action figures of characters from Justice League. Number one, Martian Manhunter, Black Canary in her Jazzer size outfit, Blue Beetle, Doctor Light, Mister Miracle, uh, Captain Marvel, Guy Gardner, Doctor Fate, Oberon, and Batman, and they're all playing basketball, and it is hilarious. So and he put, he dropped in the logo Justice League uh, International Ha podcast. So thank you so much, Derek. That's awesome. And what I'll do is I'll put that up on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com slash jli podcast. Up there you'll see there's two entries for this episode of the podcast. You'll see one is the MP3 file. The other one will be called a gallery post, and it will have lots of images from JL, uh, Justice League Number Two. And I'll be sure to include this image that Derek put together as well, so you can see that out there. So congratulations on winning your Double Stuff Award, buddy. And And again, my thanks to all the folks that I named here and the folks that I missed for supporting the show. You guys are absolutely wonderful. I sincerely appreciate it. Please keep those cards and letters coming. Uh, there's lots of different ways you can reach us. You can send us messages through Facebook. You just go to facebook.com slash JLI podcast, or just in the search box, type in Justice League International. Blah, ha, ha, podcast will come up. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, the handle's JLI podcast. You can email the show at JLI podcast at gmail.com. Or again, I mentioned our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI podcast. There you can leave comments on the mp3 post that's the place I recommend that's where most of the communication goes back and forth and quite frankly the nerd fighting which is always fun to see I really appreciate it and this show would be nothing without the feedback we get from you guys and the interaction because whether it be you guys correcting me or just telling more story stuff that we didn't even know or sharing your origins I I really want to build a community around this podcast of JLI fans and, and make it inclusive of everyone my thanks again to Mr. Ryan Daly for appearing in episode one of this show and my thanks to Michael Bailey for appearing on this episode. Really appreciate it, guys. Please be sure to check out their own online efforts that they've mentioned. Come back next month, folks, where we're going to cover Justice League number three. We'll have another guest host to cover the issue with me. Who will it be? Sorry, folks. You're just going to have to wonder for the next month. Or I might tell you that it's Tim Wallace from the Court Industry blog. Maybe. Or I might be pulling your leg. Or I've actually already recorded with Tim, and I'm desperately trying to scrape that horrible memory away. I mean, come on! He somehow managed to work in Ernest P. Worrell into the discussion. What is that about? And now you're going to be wondering for an entire month what on earth Justice League number 3 has to do with Ernest. Good luck keeping that out of your nightmares, folks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag, and this has been the JLI Podcast. Want to make something of it?
1: Darkwing Duck, let's get dangerous. Darkwing Duck. You can you can put this at the end of the episode if you want. Whack, smack, what was that? Darkwing Duck is on the attack. Go Darkwing, go Darkwing, go. Go Darkwing, go Darkwing, go. Darkwing, go. You're going to be listening to this and you're going to be like, Mike, why are you doing this? It's for my own petty amusement. On an outer space adventure, they got hit by cosmic rays. And the four will change forever in some most fantastic ways. No need to fear they're here. Just call the four, fantastic four. Reed is really fantastic. Sue can fade from sight. Johnny's the human torch. The thing just loves to fight. Just call the four. Hey, man. I'm really looking forward to you listening to all the things that I just did while you were gone. (laughs)